And we are breaking into our regularly scheduled programming here on Forward Radio to come to you live from the How To Festival. We're so excited to be here at our neighbors right across the alley at the main public library right here at 3rd and York Street right next to us at Forward Radio in the Hayburn building. Come on down today. We're going to be here until 3 p.m. This is my favorite event of the year. So much great stuff happening. They are setting up the Urban Agriculture Coalition booth right now, and I see before me, uh, oh my gosh, so many trays of amazing plants. Tomatoes, I see herbs, I see native pawpaw saplings ready to be put in the ground to give you delicious native food all year. You won't want to miss this fantastic event co-sponsored by the Urban Agriculture Coalition, a proud community partner of us here at Forward Radio. We're so happy for their support and we're so thrilled to highlight everything that they do year-round to encourage you to grow and we're going to be dropping in on some of the sessions that are going to take place all day now through 3 p.m uh you can learn so many things at the library today i see the louisville astronomical society over there setting up a telescope so that you can learn how to look at the sun through a telescope. What a beautiful day for it, too. Oh, my gosh. And that might get you in the mood for the total lunar eclipse coming up on Sunday night around 10 p.m. You won't want to miss that, my friends. But right now, you won't want to miss the How-To Festival taking place right here at the main public library. Come pick up some free seeds and seedlings for your garden. Check out the Observation Hive with Laura. Laura Augustine from the Kentucky and a Beekeepers Association. She's here with some of her hives. I hope we get a chance to talk to her a little later about that. Uh, and right now at the 10 o'clock hour, there are a bunch of workshops taking place in the garden tents out here on Library Lane at 3rd and York. Uh, let's see. Madeline Marshall is doing a How to Grow Medicinal Herbs. Vaughn Barnes from Kentucky in a Backyard Farms is doing How to Raise a Herd of Urban Goats. We have got to go check that out in a minute. And Louisville Grows is here doing actually two back-to-back workshops on how to plant a tree. We're going to be planting some trees right here on the grounds of the Louisville Free Public Library. And you can get your hands dirty helping out or just sit back and watch and learn. This is such a great event. It's not just about the urban agriculture, though, of course. There are great activities for the kids. There is a How to Paint with Sidewalk Chalk taking place right now. Coming up at 11 a.m., How to Respect Wildlife with Rudy the Skunk. Uh, at noon, they'll be doing How to Make a Kite. And at 1, How to Make a Colonial Whirly Gig. And then they'll round it off at the 2 o'clock hour with How to Make Tortillas from Scratch with Stephen Bartlett from one of forward radio's other proud community partners the sustainable agriculture of louisville group and so you can check out all of that at the kids tent right here on library lane outside on this beautiful day uh and of course there's stuff taking place inside you can learn right now how to create cake art in the york street lobby uh you can learn how to make a button uh with friends of the library you can learn how to support your library with the library foundation you can learn how to register to vote with the league of women voters of louisville 
Louisville. And you can learn from us how to live broadcast on community radio like we're doing right now here at our Forward Radio booth. Uh, we are so thrilled to be out in the community, uh, getting out of the studios and in person. Come on out and meet us and say hi at our booth. Uh, we got a tip jar out. You could support the station, but of course you don't have to. You can just pick up a, a broadcast schedule maybe and see what we've got on offer and learn how you can get involved in making community media that matters together. So come on out. Bring the whole family. This is going to be such a great day. And I'm going to wander over to one of these garden tents and let it, let's listen in on Vaughn Barnes of Kentuckiana Backyard Farms on how to raise a herd of urban goats here at the How To Festival. I mean, you can do installation, but you know that raised goats eat everything. So if it has some type of fiber in it, they're going to like nibble and chew on and your insulation just might look like food. You know, they browse, they try to taste everything. So they'll be sitting there tasting all the stuff around the wall and that'll be it. Um, did I answer that question? All right, cool. Yes, ma'am. What kind of fence would you recommend for them? Like would a four foot fence work or do you need like... So here's the situation on fencing. Right now they're doing pretty good in this fence and this is about three foot. If they got water food straw grass enough when they don't have enough and they're looking for something else or they see something else outside of their enclosure they start working on ways to get out so roughly you want to be about five my fence comes up to about right here like i could lean on my fence and they stand up and they reach over they haven't jumped over yet i haven't um you know given them a platform to spring off of to get over you know what i mean if it was closer to the edge then they could stand on it the likelihood of them saying hey you know i can get over this they get over it and just be out of here and um i've only had one situation like that where i purchased a goat from uh, like bardstown kentucky i went and got this goat and it, none of my goats have ever jumped over the fence but this one this guy decides that he wants to show his acrobatic ability and just takes off and stands on top of the fence and we're looking eye to eye now because remember like it's here and we're looking at each other as soon as he jumped up i grabbed him walked straight back to my car i put him in the car drove right back down the bardstown road or right down the bardstown gave him back an hour away i said no i don't want this one because he can get out and that's already going to be a problem for me so it was just like that. <laughs> Any other questions for Yes ma'am. Would I be able to keep goats if I have a lot of stray cats in my area? Yes. Would you be able to keep goats if there was a stray cat or stray cats in the area? Your neighborhood sounds like my neighborhood. I have stray cats in my neighborhood too. Actually a lot of them. My neighbor has this one Bob Kel uh Bob Tail cat that jumps in my backyard quite frequently because I have chickens there as well. Um Cats don't really bother the goats because they get bigger. You're doing it again. <laughs> this is like the person in the class that, that like interrupts the class all the time when the teacher's talking. That would be like me, you know? I'd been in the class interrupting everybody. Now you're good back there. Go ahead, do your thing. Um, but yes, you can keep goats with um, wild cats and the feral cats in the neighborhood. Other 
So this question is about chickens. Um, why does the city say you have to start off with six? That's a great question. I have no idea. The city just, that that's just what it is. So you could try to go to Tractor Supply. You try to go to Rural King in Jeffersonville, even in um, E-Town, and get less than six. They're going to look at you and say, the minimum is six. Why? Because that's just the rules. Like, you got to stop at a red stop sign. If you decide to, it's your business, but the rule is you got to get six. Yes, ma'am. I don't know how it is over here, but over in New Albany, where I'm from, you can't have roosters in the city either. So, in Jefferson County, the way that the ordinance works, you can get five and a rooster or six total, whatever you want to do your math. And again, like the stop sign, some people stop at it, some people don't. I'll be the first one to tell you about myself. I drove past the stop sign when they said six. I got 12 at one point, went more than that. And then um, it's one of those things where like, if, you, if you're good with your neighbors and your neighbors are good with you and they know what you got going on, it's not gonna become a big deal. It's whenever you got the one neighbor on next door that decides to post the message about, damn that house that has the rooster, it's keeping me up at 6 a.m. I get up at 6.30 and I don't like it. When you got that neighbor, that's when you have that problem. But if you don't have those neighbors, you won't have those problems, honestly. So, grooming, depending on what type of breed of goats you get. So, she and he, of course, are, they're like short tail or short hair. Maybe every now and then I might brush it if I feel like it. If it was like an Angora, which has fiber, I don't know if anybody has seen like the news story. Um, there's a lady out in Clifton. She walks her goats. Her name's Bree on Instagram. She's Bree Weaves. She has really, really fluffy, fluffy looking goats. And she combs them for fiber. They're like sheep. You got to do that. As far as like hoof treatment, um, if your goats are getting a lot of protein, it's just like your fingernails. At some point, you got to trim them. Um, I feed my goats um, BSG, brewery spent grain, which adds a lot of protein into their diet. So once they start, eat, once they started on um, BSG, I noticed that their horns would start getting bigger. Like he's only two months and he has fairly decent sized horns. They're gonna get bigger, they'll be wider, and then also like their hooves will start to grow. And then that's where you have to trim them. Um, as far as trimming the hooves down, you just want to keep them as smooth as possible if they don't have anything rough like rocks or stuff to jump on. I don't have rocks in my backyard. And you know what, now that I'm talking about, I should put like bigger <laughs> rocks in my backyard. This way I don't have to trim hooves. But um, the reason why you do that is because if it starts growing over the bottom of their feet, they start walking funny. And then they could end up with like joint problems just because you didn't trim the hooves. Other questions? Ma'am in the back first, I seen you. Okay, so as far as um, uh, what the comment was about was the animals being fixed. Hey, you, front row C, how are you doing, sir? Thank you for showing up. So as far as goats being fixed, it, it really depends on what your purpose is for a goat. If you want your goat to be bred or if you want your goat to be a breeder, hey, over there, 
If you want your goat to be a breeder, you might want to keep them intact. If you decided that you want to get a goat that's going to go into 4-H, that's when you go about castrating your goat and you do a thing called banding. They take a rubber band, they stretch this rubber band out. Yeah, man, exactly. <laughs> that, that face, right? For all, the, for all the guys in here, you, you know what I was about to say. They take that rubber band and then they flip them in there and then they let the rubber band go and it's a painless process. They just kind of fall off after a while. There's no blood circulation moving around in the reproductive part. And then after a while, they just fall off. The skin heals and that's it. it for everybody that's listening, if you could only see the guys' faces in this crowd, I'm telling you. Like everybody has like the cringe look on their face. They do not want a part of that. But that's what happens with the, um, with the goats whenever you have to castrate them. Uh, if you don't, um, the next thing that ma'am right there might be talking about is the the smell is that what this was going into so 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 what she just said for everybody listening on the radio is that she raised the goats in the house now um that's something i wouldn't do because i know goats like fiber and they chew on the couch they chew okay okay so, Okay, okay, okay. So that was almost like what you would do with a bottle-fed um, goat. Whenever you keep um, them in a about yay small, because I do this a little bit myself, I bring them inside the house, and I handle them a lot. You want to handle your goats a lot so they don't get skittish, because, I mean, like, if they don't get handled when they're babies, you couldn't even stay this close to them without them, like, trying to run away from you. But then again, um, if you keep them intact... What I was going to talk about is the um, when they start to smell the pheromones from the females, they spray. So the same thing that dogs would do, goats do, they kind of spray their man spray around to like smell good in goat world. But in our world, it smells awful. And it's a really, really rich smell. Um, it, well, see, I didn't bring any of the guys and you couldn't tell with um, the guys that I have, but they, they normally have like this brown, orangey look right here. It's because they've been spraying underneath their beard the whole time, trying to, like, you know, scent up and get all manly-like for the girls. So the girls know, like, yeah, he's the one. Yes, young lady, there are baby rabbits in there. Would you like to, like, look underneath there? Oh, yeah. So go ahead. That's what they're there for. Man, I'll be looking at my rabbit. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> so um, about three weeks ago, Fuzzball, Snowball, that, well, that's their names. Fuzzball and uh, Big Fuzz had babies, and I, I should have brought Big Fuzz. If you guys are on Instagram, just look. You'll see a, I have a really huge rabbit. He's really, 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 really fuzzy. That's Big Fuzz. Snowball or Little Fuzz had tiny fuzzes, and that's what they are. And then in the other one is a uh, Muscovy duck. I think somebody else had it. There it is. the second part so inside the ordinance they don't speak about um this ruminant animal and what you can do is have them but you can't have them over a certain size if you don't have the acreage so because of all of the loops that are in the ordinance it just so happened to work out for me that i had goats and then now 
you too could have your own. Get your own goats and uh, start producing milk. Any other questions? I'm seeing hands. Wait, 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 wait. I go back there first. See, this is what happens when people show up late to class. The question is, <laughs> the question is, what made me get into it? Um, early, I, I started the story about how I had a family member that passed away, and then um, I went to the funeral, enjoyed the funeral, enjoyed the people that enjoyed him while he was alive, and I said to myself, dang, I want this too, so I'm going to start. I started with chickens, the gateway animal, just like gateway drug. It's the gateway animal to all other animals. You you do it and then you just start wanting more. I I don't know what part of the class you jumped in. I mentioned going past the stop sign, right? Did anybody else catch that part? So everybody else caught that. Did you catch that part? See, you didn't catch that part. <laughs> so um, as far as like the stop sign of only having six, I went past six. Um, I started getting more animals, and I just like them. And it's not like I sit here and say, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be on the dinner plate one day, man. I mean, that's it. There's, there's, there's plenty of stuff out here for you. Um, but at the same time, like, I'll be honest, like, will it ever come to that? Yeah. That's a part of the whole cycle, you know? You get the chickens to get the eggs, and then when they don't give you any more eggs, you either give them to the crazy chicken guy down the street that just loves looking at the chickens and it's therapeutic, or you say, and pluck them and that's that. And the same thing goes for every single one of them. You could find the sanctuary, um, gosh, what's their names? You could find the sanctuary, I forgot their names, but they're on my Instagram too, and turn them over to the sanctuary. You know, you could find the farm out in the middle of wherever, and instead of being like the person that let all the rabbits go in the, in the, the, the park, take the rabbits somewhere where they actually could be useful to somebody instead of just throwing them away in society. It, it just depends on what you decide that you do. And, and, and that's another thing. If you decide to get any animals, have an exit plan. Ma'am, I am coming to you, but I have somebody else first. But just have your exit plan, because at some point they gotta go. Like the same way that a dog, a cat, something, you gotta have an exit plan for your animals. Other question? Um, oh, it was you. You go to a vet. No, you want to find you a livestock vet. I have one. Um, and then there's areas in town that are like livestock friendly, like Fairdale. Head to Fairdale. Like you don't want to go downtown asking about. So in Fairdale, where it makes sense, that's where you would go. Yes, little ma'am. If I were to brush my goats, what type of brush would I use? the one that they like the best. <laughs> like, maybe like the pink one. Depends. But the boy might not. I don't know. You know what? I don't know. He might like the pink one too. And she might like the blue one. Or whatever. We just, whatever. But whatever brush they like the best. However, for everybody else, um, I use like a fine tooth um, bristle brush and just um, brush through them whenever they start to get matted. What ends up happening is like their coats start shedding and they start changing like um, 
far there is a term for it and I cannot remember gosh I wasn't prepared for that question but um you just uh take that brush and it's, it's the same thing that Bree uses whenever she's combing out Boone and Betty you comb them out you get the fiber out and then their fur gets back to this any other questions that was a question or a nose rub all right gotcha how are we on time Okay, got you. So, um, sorry, some somebody actually just called me. Hey, Sam, I'm I'm presenting right now. I'll call you back. But um, yeah, your question. So, if you wanted to get them as like babies, like how do you like get them to like get to get, have them have babies to get them to produce milk? Like, how do you start that chain? Hold on, somebody's taking a picture. <laughs> All right. Um, how do you get them to produce milk? Like most other mammals, you gotta, you know, let them do the do to have a baby, then milk happens. Like they don't just produce milk because you produce milk. It doesn't happen, you know? So you still gotta get a baby and then another baby. Well, so if I wanna continue to like milk them, you gotta continue to like do the reproductive thing. Like her sac will not continue to grow without her having babies or having a baby that's egging that part on in the body. So. It's kind of like one for the other. And then what do you do with the babies? Um, you sell them or you keep them. So in this example where I have mom, I have milk, and I have the baby, the baby's already sold. Like he is famous and before I even get to like be attached to him, sold him to somebody already. But they want me to raise him out. That's another thing that happens in, um, in agriculture. You'll have like a calf cow type of situation but in this situation is like kid goat you'll raise them up and then when they get to a certain size and age you get them out um let's use cows for this example cows you can go in a calf cow operation and once you like just grass feed them for the first six to eight months they're all grass fed and then you take them to a finishing farm where they fatten them up if you ever look at your steaks and they're all marbled and everything and it's all fat that part happens at the finishing stage at a finishing farm where they're eating uh, sweet feed, corn, soy, and all that other sugary, fatty stuff that gets the cow really, really like, eh. That's where your briskets are coming from, your marbled steaks are coming from, things like that. Any other questions? I'm telling you, I got eyes over here watching you guys. <laughs> yes, sir. Great question. Depends on the size and the weight on hoof. Just like any other animal, it's all on weight. Now, with these, because they're dwarf and miniature size, you start looking into characteristics. Do they have blue eyes? Do they come with waddles? Uh, did the dad's horns curl? Because now, now the son's horns might curl. Mom's horns aren't gonna curl at all. They're just gonna stick straight up. Do moms get beards? Yes, but just not like dads. Dads are gonna be full, their faces are gonna look different, their horns might curl, their horns might curl and stick out. So that all depends and, and varies on the price. Eye color, uh, fur color, horns, waddles, that's, that's really it. The waddles are like, if you've ever seen like those cartoon pictures exactly, like the two little dots that come off the neck, it's like skin tags. Um, I've heard, you know, goats that have waddles are typically better milkers. 
So they have these waddles and they're better milkers. If they don't have waddles, it's like, eh, I, I might want it, but it might not produce as much milk. Is that a hand raised back there? Or are you just scratching your glasses? Oh, all right, you're just scratching your glasses. Sorry. You uh, the question was how do you prevent inbreeding and the answer is you don't prevent inbreeding it all really depends on the genetics that you want in your line for that um, same example let's use dogs if you find a great dog sire and dam or sire and um, you all know what the female dog is <laughs> uh, exactly I just I, just, I gotta be smart I gotta be smart if you want certain genetics, you breed the father with the mother and then all the females down the line. It's called line breeding. Google it. But um, it's line breeding. You breed that genetic over and over and over. You get rid of all the other males and you stick with your dominant trait. And then hopefully the generations will show exactly what you want. Same thing happens with goats. But typically, sorry, like that dude's truck is just heck loud. <laughs> and he's trying to get out of gear right now. Um, but typically with goats, you're, you're, you're dealing with twins, maybe triplets, and if you're like blessed and you're really feeding the mom a quad situation, but like it would suck because there's only two teats, uh, but you're every five months. So in January, if you have some, you could mess around and have more in May, June, and then top off in December, depending on how active your um, your goats are. So great, great observation right there, right? In um, in the unknowing mind, he looks like he's eating my shorts. The problem is, he will not ever break that part off. He'll just chew it, and he's just chewing for the fiber. The same thing might happen with the bandana. They sit there and chew on the like chew on the the material. That's all it's about. They just like chewing on stuff. Any other questions? Last question. Dental care? Huh. So <laughs> the dental bill obviously isn't anything because they don't have top teeth. If you get close enough to see the goat's teeth. The top row is just a big gum, and then the bottom row are just like teeth. This are like teeth, teeth that are not necessarily sharp, but like they're like our bottom teeth. So they they scrape a lot of stuff, and they scrape. They never really like chew down and like tear. Not like flesh or nothing like that. They don't have those type of teeth. They're not predators. They're prey animals. They run away from stuff. So, any other questions? I want to make this like the last question so people in the crowd can grab a business card and if you want to come up here and touch it, um, I don't know how we would follow the line. Can we follow the line that way to get them out? Cool. Kids first. I want the kids up here to take pictures and touch the animal. Thank you guys so much. 
That's Vaughn Barnes here at the How To Festival from Kentuckiana Backyard Farms. We're outside on 3rd Street at the main public library. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm a volunteer here at WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you live from the library's How To Festival. We're so excited to have all kinds of animals at the festival. You just heard about raising a herd of baby goats. Uh, there's going to be a workshop on chickens coming up. And there's bunnies, too. Uh, but one of my favorite animals is the bee. And we've got Kentuckiana Beekeepers Association here. Uh, and Laura Augustine has brought her observation hive. It is so beautiful to see the bees at work. The kids are loving this, of course, but adults, too. Uh, she's got a split level. There's two levels of bees that you can check out here. And you can ask Laura questions directly about beekeeping in the city. Let's listen in. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there is some actual business. Hey, Laura, how are you doing? It's good to see you again. Fellow beekeepers joining. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners about the Kentuckiana Beekeeping Association? And hey, we just had a great field day out at uh, no, uh, uh, yeah, Cave Hill. Hill, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm with the Kentuckiana Beekeepers Association, and we do field days and have educational sessions on beekeeping so that you can learn how to become a beekeeper, or if you're already a beekeeper, you can learn how to become a better beekeeper. So we do uh, generally the first uh, Sunday of the month, and if you look on our website, uh, KentuckianaBees.com, K-Y-A-N-A-B-E-E-S.com, you can find our calendar and that's when we do these sessions and it's a good chance to get to know other beekeepers find out um, like if you can find a mentor that's near you that lives in the area or something and also just really learn about bees altogether you know so and you've brought a couple frames from your hive today is the queen here with us i did i brought a observation hive and i put the queen in there and she is hiding from me and it's very irritating but you know that's beekeeper's life right there the queen always wants to try to hide hide from you when you need her the most right this young man has a question over here why do bees keep flying in and out of the hive why do they fly in and out of the hive because they're they're searching for nectar yeah so they go out to and pollen and they bring it back to the hive okay and so that's what they use for their food and that's what they use, and eventually they uh, will cap it over and make it into honey. Nectar becomes honey. So that's why they fly in and out of the hive. Yeah. And you'll be here out in the tent all, until 3? I will be until 3, and I'm presenting at 1 o'clock, 1 to 1.45. I'll be in the garden tent area, number 3, and talking about how to keep bees in your backyard. Yay, thank you for being here, Laura, and thanks yeah, for being on Forward Radio. Good to see you. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to wander around the how-to festival here and check out some of the other things going on. The sessions are usually about 45 minutes. There's some ongoing things all day long, like, of course, our urban agriculture tent with uh, great stuff happening throughout the day and free plants, too. If you want to load up on free plants, you can do it today. Uh, and the Urban Agriculture Coalition is hosting all kinds of great stuff, including Letitia Marshall. She's she's here. You're going to be giving what's a workshop. Up, I haven't seen you in person in so long. Is it? Oh, right? It's been tons of time passed by. But this I'm is excited. a radio hug right here. I know, right? I'm excited. And I love how you just, you're just like I'm doing your thing. I know, right? 
You're going to be doing a workshop on growing microgreens. Yes, yes, right, like in two seconds, I guess. Right, come, on come on out. Come on out. Get up and get out. Get up and get out. It's a beautiful day. It sure it's is. It's storming like 80 miles away, right? They've had storms all morning. I have some family down okay. in central Kentucky, but it's beautiful here. So get up we'll and get out. We'll be here till out. three. Yes. Come right o'clock. now outside in the yes. garden tent. Yes. If you want to check out how to grow microgreens with yep. Letitia Marshall. They got goats here, baby goats, cows, milking right. cows and everything. It's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. All right, good luck. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) There are people flocking the tent. Yes, yes. How are you doing? Welcome to the How To Festival. What's your name? My name is Joanne. Hey, Joanne, is this your first time coming? Very first time. Oh wow! Oh wow! What do you want to learn today? (laughs) A lot. I just learned how to raise a goat, and then later on, I'm going to learn how to fix the plumbing in the toilet. That is such a useful thing, right? Why pay someone hundreds of dollars if you could do it yourself? Exactly. I mean, I'm a female, so I need to save my bucks. And later on, maybe salsa, and then how to plan a trip to Disney. So we'll see. Well, great. Enjoy the day. It's great to have you here. So many people come out for the How To Fest because there's just so much to learn and so many great resources to share with the community. You know, the other thing I'll mention while I'm outside watching people take home some native pawpaw saplings to plant in their own yard to get great food. Uh, The other thing I'll mention while I'm out here is that there are food trucks, too. So you don't need to eat lunch and come. You could come and enjoy some of the great food trucks that are out here on Library Row. Uh, You can milk a cow. I don't think you can drink directly from it. (laughs) They are milking a cow right now at the How To Festival. Uh, All of the great stuff's happening outside in the garden tents and good stuff inside too. You know, I saw the astronomies folks here. They're set up looking at the sun. I can't believe that. You can look at directly into the sun. Wow, with the telescope. There are children lined up to look directly into the sun with their telescope and special filters that allow you to see things like solar flares that maybe you couldn't see even if you had a home telescope. This is really cool. So I'm going to wander inside the How To Festival and uh, one of the greeters is here. Hey, people are flooding to this thing, aren't they? People are loving it. Oh my gosh. Yes, the cows and the goats are (laughs) very popular. Of course, of course. Is there anything people are asking about? Where's the such and such? They're always looking for the um, East Room in the, I don't know what's going on over there but it must be really popular and the kentucky history room which anybody should visit anyway at the library regardless of what day it is and it's all free and we're so glad to be back after two years away right the weather is perfect everybody should come on down food trucks it's it's great it's great it's a great party thank you so much i'm gonna head on into the building and uh, there's wonderful people here volunteering and helping out to greet you and get you oriented if you've never been here before there's a lot of different nooks and crannies of the library where things are happening and so uh, they guide you to where you need to go and help you find your sessions Uh, there's a great handout that lists where everything is and when it's happening And again, it's all day through 3 p.m. We're live here at the main public library on York Street, a forward radio neighbor. And I'm going to head to our forward radio table. I haven't even mentioned it yet, but we're so excited to be here participating in the How To Fest, doing, uh, you know, the work of outreach to the community about forward radio and how you can be a part of it. Uh, We want you to know that we're here as a resource for you, just like the public library. And we're always eager to have new volunteers and people who want to get involved in this station. And so we've got a booth here right on the very north end of the building. It's the Hayburn 
building side of the main public library is where we're at. And uh, you can come check us out at our booth today. And we're excited to be here and participating. And uh, folks are already talking to some of our volunteers about Forward Radio and how to get involved. It's a popular thing, of course. Everybody wants to know how they can be on the radio, right? <laughs> it's so good. We, we really think that this is a great opportunity for us to uh, let people know that we're here and to educate people about Forward Radio. Uh, it's great to be a part of this and to be here. Um, so come on out to the main public library anytime now until 3 p.m. And we will be here as well until 3 in the north lobby of the main library, uh, taking your questions, uh, answering anything you want to know about forward radio and community broadcasting. We are here for you. We're a community resource. You know, we're in the Hayburn building up on the eighth floor in a small studio, right? A modest studio because, uh, you know, it's a community radio station with limited resources that you, the listeners, support. Um, but we'd love to get out in the community at times like this and uh, help people know that Forward Radio is here for you. Of course, broadcasting 24-7 at 106.5 FM like you're listening to right now and forwardradio.org. But we're also here as a resource for training in journalism, citizen journalism, and getting engaged. And uh, we can't do it without volunteers. And that's why we need to be here to help uh, let you know about the opportunities. Uh, it's so great to, to be a part of this. Uh, and, uh, and we're here uh, letting people know about the opportunities and getting engaged in community radio, making media that matters with the community. Uh, so it's exciting to be a part of such a big community event like the How To Festival here at the Maine Public Library, which of course is back after two years away. Uh, we're excited to be here. And uh, we've got two volunteers with uh, Forward Radio right now here at the table. Uh, we've got Carol Trainer from Veterans for Peace Radio Hour, our monthly program. She's been a longtime volunteer with the station. She's a member of uh, Veterans for Peace here in Louisville. And uh, we also have Carrie Vidito, who is a co-host, of course, of Perks of Being a Book Lover, which is so exciting uh, to have them here talking to potential volunteers and community members who just want to learn more about the radio. Uh, and we want you to come out and join us. So what's coming up at 11? Let's take a look at that. Uh, you know, as I said, these workshops mostly last about 45 minutes, uh, and they start on the top of the hour. So outside on Library Lane, there is so much good stuff happening all day. Let me just tell you what's happening all day. I mentioned the astronomers. You can look at the sun through a telescope for sure, uh, but you can also learn from Louisville Free Public Library about how to use your library. Uh, the Urban Agriculture Coalition, a proud community partner of Forward Radio, is doing How to Save Seeds and Seed Swap. They're also giving away free plants uh, for you on the library lane. There's a truck, as I mentioned, doing a demo on how to milk a cow out there from Southland Dairy Farms. Isn't that cool? Hey, my my, <laughs> my fellow volunteer, Carrie, is here. Boy, Carrie, it's so good to see you. You too. <laughs> I think the last time I saw you live in a person was at the Maker Fair, the like Louisville Maker Fair at UofL. Yeah. Yes, I've been good. <laughs> Did you read a lot of books in the pandemic? Oh, so many books. <laughs> Which so was your favorite? Oh gosh. Do you have a favorite pandemic book? No, okay. I've read so many I can't even remember. 
But you were still able to keep doing your show, right? Yeah, yeah. We we learned a lot about technology. <laughs> A lot lot, about technology so that we can, you know, have guests on. I love that we can continue doing community radio even in the middle of a pandemic and with all the barriers. You were still able to find guests, right? Oh, yeah. And actually, I mean, I hate hate to say that there was anything positive about COVID because (laughs) it sucked and, and still sucks. But we had to figure out how to use technology because we had been interviewing people in person. You know, we were staying very local and interviewing people in person. And, you know, when you're a a potential germ carrier of a very serious (laughs) disease, people do not want to meet with you in person, understandably. So we had to figure out technology. Now, the benefit is that we have been able to expand and we have interviewed people in Prague. We've interviewed people in Washington State. I mean, it's been really amazing. When so. you start interviewing people internationally, you got to think about like, oh, I might be doing this at a strange time of day, right? Right. And, and so I, th- that was one of the other changes. Now I, I put Eastern Standard Time for all of our emails to potential guests. That's what time zone we're in. Where are you? So, yeah. Um, but, but that's been very cool because we've, we've made connections with people that, you know, had COVID not happened, would we ever have made contact with yeah. them? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, it still sucks. COVID still sucks. It, it does suck, but it's taught us some really valuable lessons. It's shown us, I think, how resilient we are as individuals and as a community and even as a radio station, right? For sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. So, And it's taught me just how many books that I can read in a month <laughs> that I had no idea that I, I could read. Like, if you take away everything, you really have lots of time to read. So, yeah. We're uh, taking questions of all kinds here at the table. We set up at 10 a.m. What kind of folks have you met so far? I have had I have talked to a number of people. I, I sat down with them, explained some of the tools that Amy and I use for our show, yeah. um, and and maybe meeting with some of them this summer, just one on one to you know kind of show them the ropes and exactly. let them know that you know this this is what you need to use yes. these are some tricks of the trade amy and i had to pay a teenager to teach us um but i said i i am willing to do it for free you know pro bono just to help some people figure out if that's something they want to do we are all about mentorship at forward radio and lowering the bar to participation right you don't have to be a techie you don't have to have any particular special skills this is radio for the people by the people so you're going to hear all kinds of things on the station you wouldn't hear anywhere else but also all kinds of people right and and that's what we're here at the how-to festival trying to recruit and open the doors as wide as possible to people of all ages all backgrounds who are looking to share their passions just like you do about books absolutely and you know the the thing is it it may seem overwhelming at first but you learn as you go i mean we're still learning things and then you have a you know things that happen like a pandemic that throws a, a kink in and you have to pivot and figure out what to do next and you do you do you figure it out so networking with people is important too so that if you're stuck you have people that you can contact and say help me I'm stuck so and being back here at the how-to festival reminds me isn't that where we first met yes because Amy and I came to the Ford radio um, like in 2018 or something yeah yeah, we came to 17 and 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 said you know we have and I think our statement was we have an idea we have a logo we know what we want to do we just don't know how to do the technology and you all helped us with the technology and it's been three years yeah something like that fantastic what a run oh good 
uh, end. I think we're getting ready to end season six pretty soon. That's incredible. Yeah. What a what a run. Yeah. Oh man, I'm so glad to be reminded of that. And it, the How to Festival story. always makes my heart sing, but now it's really yeah. thumping. <laughs> so come on out to our table. We're here in the north side of the building, right? It's nice and cool in here. I don't know. It's getting kind of hot outside, but come on inside. We're right next to the main stage, and so this is a great time to be talking to you because I think it might be getting loud in here in a minute. Oh, okay. um, it, Kentucky uh, Shakespeare is here, and they are going to be doing a really fun workshop on how to do stage combat. They, that, we, we've actually had Kentucky Shakespeare on our show a couple times. Oh, really? Yes, yes. So um, Amy oh, Attaway, great. they talked to us uh, once just about Kentucky Shakespeare in general and also about their vet, uh, Shakespeare with Veterans program. So oh, wow. um, we we have learned a lot. We love Kentucky Shakespeare. So, yeah, I'm excited. I see uh, looks like a wooden sword a that's going to get some use here. <laughs> So that's exciting. Yeah, they'll be starting in five minutes here at the main stage, and the kids are already <laughs> lining up. Look at that. But this that's what's fun about this event. It's for people of all ages. Like, kids love it, but I, as an adult, totally love this, oh, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hey, I walked by that cow this morning, and I was like, can I just hang out here for a while? Because, you know, it, but the sign said, do not pet the cow. And I was like, well, okay. There are animals it's you can pet. It's a working cow, right? Like a working uh, dog, you know, for the dog. I'm like, okay, it's a working cow. I get it. Same rules apply as with working dogs. So, uh, yeah, but there's all sorts of stuff uh, that I haven't been able to explore. But I will be doing that once my shift is over. So Let yeah. me go talk to Kyle from... Uh, yeah. Kentucky Shakespeare and don't, see don't what he's going to do. I'm going to, yeah, let's go see if we can do some battle on this stage. We're coming to you live from the How To Festival here at the main public library on York Street. Uh, and we're really excited to witness what Kyle's about to do. What's going to happen here in just a minute? Uh, in just a minute, we're going to do a stage combat demonstration. Should I get out of the way? Uh, no. <laughs> this. Uh, uh, well, I mean... It all depends if you want to get hit or not, but uh, but but we could arm you as well to where it'd be a fair fight. Absolutely. Stage combat—that sounds like a dance. It, it is to a certain degree. There's yeah. a lot of choreography involved. Actually, it's all choreographed, so it's very very specific. One doesn't improvise with combat. One absolutely, yeah. Um, should should is certainly true. One should not improvise with stage combat. And in fact, sometimes you will get lost in a fight on stage. And what we do in that instance is we disengage and then resume. Make eye contact, I bet. Eye contact? Eye contact is one of the tenets of safety. You sound like a practice stage combatant. Uh, yeah, stage com uh, eye contact is one of the tenets of safety. Balance being another one. Always making sure you have appropriate distance. I always say, and you'll hear me say in a minute, the first three rules of stage combat. The first rule is safety. The second rule, also safety. The third rule... I, I wonder what it is. It is safety. Oh, okay. okay. Safety. It's not entertain the audience at any cost. Well... <laughs> No, well, what's funny too is like when we see fights in movies or on stage, yeah. we see a lot of Herculean efforts being made, like, and all of that. And in reality, as actors, what there's different schools of thought, but frequently we're told, like, your objective is to hit or not get hit. Uh, it's that's that's, it. that's simple, simple as it is. <laughs> 
And even when your objective is to hit, it's not really to hit, right? <laughs> it's it's to it's to it's to get it's to get convincingly close. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, we're so excited to see this, and so grateful to Kentucky Shakespeare for all you do. You get free festival in Central Park is coming up soon, right? Absolutely, we open next week. As a matter of fact, on May so twenty exciting. May twenty fifth, and we'll run all the way through August seventh. We're doing. Twelfth uh, night, we're going to start that for the first three weeks, then move to Richard the Third, then we're going to do the Merry Wives of Windsor, then we'll rotate those in rep for a little bit, uh, for two weeks, then our Globe Players Professional Training Program will do much ado about nothing, and then the Louisville Ballet will join us once again, and also the Louisville Improvisers will be there a few nights a week throughout the throughout. The but see, they never do the swordplay. I always come for late night shakes, and they don't do the combat because you don't want to improvise. You don't want to <laughs> improvise the combat. You don't. If you learn one thing from the How To Festival, don't improvise in combat. Don't improvise the combat. Stage combat. It's all. It's all very choreographed, as you say. It is very much like a dance. Yeah. A, a dance with big weapons, but a dance. Well, I'll get out of the way because you got to take the stage here. I'm so excited to, that you're here. Thanks for doing this. Great. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is the How To Festival live from the Louisville, Maine Public Library on York Street. We're so excited to be here broadcasting to you. My name is Justin Mogg. We're going to be broadcasting all day, even interrupting our regularly scheduled programming. So that's coming up in just a second. Uh, we got to keep the radio going live here at forward radio um boy we want you to come out on this beautiful day uh there's really one time a year when you can learn 500 things in one day i don't know exactly how many hundreds of things but uh there are always always great stuff happening here at the how-to festival where we're coming to you live until 3 p.m when it wraps up we want you to stop by our booth for radio has a booth where you can learn about our station and how to get involved and how to support us, uh, how to listen. Uh, if you're, all, you're doing that now, you know how to listen, but we'd love to get your voices on the air and you can come talk to some of our volunteers about how to do that at our booth here at the how to festival. And This is our special live broadcast. We're sorry to be interrupting Truth to Power this week, but no problem. Our truth is that you can learn a lot of things here at the How To Festival, so we want you to come on by anytime now until 3 p.m. Right now at 11 p.m., as you just heard, we're going to have on the main stage a great demonstration from Kentucky Shakespeare about how to do stage combat. But you can also learn about how to plan a trip to Disney or how to get started with string instruments with several volunteers leading that one. How to do simple plumbing repairs with BC Plumbing. Uh, they're going to be taking the stage at the uh, second floor um, second floor room. And then in the auditorium, you can do how to hand embroider a bookmark with the Embroiders Guild of America Louisville chapter. Oh, my gosh. And then how to print like Gutenberg with Nick Bout of hound dog press in the york street lobby he's going to be doing that all until 2 p.m so lots of time to learn how to print like gutenberg coming up outside in the kids tent there's how to respect wildlife with rudy the skunk bridget brulliard from second chances wildlife is going to be there uh, and in garden tent number three how to plant a tree with louisville grows you won't want to miss that if you never volunteered with them 
how to grow microgreens, as we mentioned before, with Letitia Marshall of Bear Fruit and Grow. How to landscape your garden with edible plants, thanks to master gardener Trilba Smith. How to do Tai Chi with the new chapter Tai Chi Chuan and Kijong Institute is going to be outside on Library Lane. Nick Morris from KCTCS is doing how to do simple car maintenance out on Library Lane. And if you'd rather bicycle like I do, well, Todd Coy of St. Matthew's Cycling is out on Library Lane doing how to do bike maintenance. You might want to bring your own bike to the how-to festival and uh it's an easy way to go on this beautiful day uh and while your bike's here you could get some tips about how to maintain it um let's listen in to uh the how to do some stage combat second then we're going to talk about the sword and then you all are going to learn how to fake fight each other does that sound okay <laughs> outstanding all right so when i say the name william shakespeare what's the first thing that pops in your head anything yeah romeo and juliet one of his plays yes what else what else do you think of when i say shakespeare anything anything at all yes the tempest another one of his plays yes Hamlet, yes, some of his tragedies Shakespeare wrote in three types of categories, we often say. You've listed a few of his plays. The Tempest, we think of as a comedy. What happens in a comedy, do we think? Yeah. Everyone survives. That's a key point. That is a key point. And more than survive, they thrive because the comedies frequently end in a marriage. So that's a nice little thing, which is the opposite, I think, of what you're getting at in the tragedies with something like Hamlet, where... Not so much. Not so much at the end of Hamlet, where most everybody is dead. I'm so sorry. It's a 400-year-old spoiler, but I'm terribly sorry. Everybody, <laughs> they don't make it out of Hamlet alive. And here's the thing. If you have a tragedy named after you, it's probably not going well <laughs> for you in that story. If, if they ever write uh, the tragedy of Kyle, I'm going to stop them midway through <laughs> and just make sure that we don't carry that to its unfortunate conclusion. The other type of play that Shakespeare wrote is a history. What do we think the histories are about? History? Yeah, 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 yeah. These were typically about the kings and queens of England because he was from England. Yeah, so a lot of these were kind of like rah-rah plays for the monarchy who were paying his bills, so he'd say like, yeah, 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 we're, we'll write a cool play about this member of your family that you'll continue to pay me money for, which is always very exciting for Shakespeare. Um, 
Why in the world, I'm going to move on really quickly, but why in the world do you think we're still even talking about Shakespeare at this point in time? Why are, why are we doing Shakespeare today? Why are we talking about Shakespeare today? 450, what, he just had his 458th birthday? Why? Why Shakespeare? Why still? Anybody? Any ideas? Yeah. Because he's what? Important, yes. But why? Why? Yes. He writes the best plays ever. Now, as an official representative from the Shakespeare Company, I'm inclined to agree with you. Uh, but another thing, we have two other things that Shakespeare did that we think of as pretty darn important. One, uh, Shakespeare invented or popularized anywhere between 1,700 and 3,000 words that we still use today. Things like upstairs, downstairs, bedroom, I just heard. Yes, bedroom. Uh, puppy dog, bathroom, I don't, I don't know if you, say again, Sh sure, uh, <laughs> uh, eyeball, uh, puke is Shakespeare, uh, swagger is Shakespeare, so all these things, it was 1,700 to 3,000 that we're still using today, and also another reason that we still do Shakespeare today is these themes that exist in pretty much all of his plays. They're not wholly universal, but they're things that we can relate to. And Shakespeare wrote about them, to what you just said, wrote about them pretty darn well. And so they still resonate with us today. And another thing that Shakespeare was really fond of, and the reason you are here today, is the sword. Now, we're gonna talk briefly about the sword. This is as close to a replica as I could bring in that the library was comfortable with. Uh, and it holds up pretty good. The parts are all the same. So, we're going to break the sword down into two parts. That is, the handle and the blade. Does anybody know the different parts of the handle? Does anybody have any idea? Yeah. I want to give you a full flavor. I hate to leave Kentucky Shakespeare doing their great job about how to do stage combat. Uh, but we're at the How To Festival broadcasting to you live from the Louisville Free Public Library here on York Street. And I want to go check out some of the other sessions going right, right now. Everything's happening at the library through 3 p.m. today, inside and outside. I'm Justin Mogg coming to you live from inside the library now. And one of the sessions that's taking place up on the second floor is about how to do simple plumbing repairs and I wonder is that gonna make good radio who knows but this is community radio and we do experiments we do the kinds of things you're not gonna hear anywhere else oh you can hear how busy and crowded the main library is on the York Street side and we're heading upstairs to hear from BC plumbing and how to do simple repairs he's over in the kentucky history room hopefully it'll be a little quieter in there and we can listen in to some of these practical tips ahead of you. Oh, okay. he, was, he was anxious. 100%. Go ahead, you'll be next. Well, uh, can you take us through, uh, if you're going to change 
change the washer in like a shower set. You know? All right. Uh, what do you like, you know, what do you have to buy and uh, what do you have to do? Well, you're into an area where if you're talking about an older two-handle shower that is uh, 30 years old, two-handle, two like, you know, We've got to take the handle off. You've got to take the trim off, the scutching, the chrome pieces. You have to remove the, the water again. Turn the water off. The whole house, hot and cold. They make a socket set that's designed for pulling out the stem. And there's like, they're on a wire, and there's like 10 of them. Nah, it's probably six or eight, and they're double-ended. You find the one that's I always open the faucet when the water's off. So the, you make sure the water is off. And don't do it when it's closed. And then I, I find the right, you know, you take, take all the chrome off so you can see where the stem goes into the faucet. Sometimes there's putty around it and you gotta clear off a little bit with a, I don't use a chisel, I use a screwdriver until I can find the nut. I find the appropriate socket and I put it on and I take a channel lock and I turn it out. When it comes out, it's gonna be a stem which I will draw. You probably have all. This is a, this is a like an old-fashioned kind of uh, unit. The stem comes down. The faucet comes in here. It's got these kind of doodads on it. Down here, it has a spot like this, and there's a washer here. All right, and there's a bonnet. The thing that I'm telling you to loosen up is here. And this has got threads on it comes up and that nut I'm talking about is right here so when you put your socket on you're putting it on this nut but you're unscrewing it here and then the stem is in there and the stem is inside of that it's called a bonnet the stem is inside the bonnet you take the whole thing out you remove this screw you've got to be careful removing that screw because oftentimes it gets very like crumbly so I don't want it to break off so I use a screwdriver and try to get it. And if it starts breaking off, I take a very sharp knife, like a razor knife, and I cut the washer out so I can get a wrench, like a, a needle nose plier and get it out. If I break it off flush with the stem, you're in trouble because I can't get it out. So you've got to be careful about getting that. You know, this is just a little, you know, just a, nothing. But it's made out of brass and it's been in there a long time. In fact, oftentimes, you want to change that if you can. The problem is nobody's going to have, I mean, you can go to a store and buy it, but you're not going to have it in your toolbox. But, you know, if you change it, it'll have a little more life. And that's, that's, and then you put it back together. Now, when you put it back together, you want to have it in the open position. When you, when you put, you put that socket set back on it and you're tightening it up and tightening it up, there's a gasket in here. I should draw this. Well, uh, the nuts on the top, the stem goes through it, it comes down here, this has threads on it, there's a gasket right here. So when you tighten it down, the gasket's going to seal it to the body of the faucet. So make sure you don't lose the gasket, and, and, and if, you, if you have the stem down too far, it'll hit the seat, and it will never go down. Mm. It'll bottom out. So you want to have the stem short. So
so when you tighten it down, it will tighten down, and then you can close it with the handle. But, you know, that's like, these are really detail, 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 but they'll kill you if you don't know what you're doing. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I can imagine. Because, you know, our, our like, motto is, it's not rocket science, you know, and it's not. If, we can't, if I can't explain anything about plumbing to you, I should be able to. Actually, we call it, it's not rocket surgery. That's the <laughs> <laughs> So on our t-shirts, there's a pipe wrench with a big flame underneath of it, BC Plumbing Company, it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> I didn't bring any today, I should. So, but that's how that works, you know. If you're gonna buy a kit at the, the store then, uh, to replace that, what would it come with? Just well, the, uh, you would get, well, depending, if you want a kit, like the whole kit. It seems like that's what you usually find. No, well, you can. You can find. It depends on what you got. If you got like an American Standard that's in recent history and it's a washer type, you can go to Master Supply, which is the American Standard dealer, and you can match it up and just get. You can get the seat. There's all kinds of variations of this. I mean, I'm giving you the basic, you know, scenario. American Standard. They have bonnets. Crane makes a special type thing. These are the exceptions rather than a rule, and I don't want to get into all the different variations. But if you can leave the water off, you can take, you can either take a, what I tell people to do is take pictures. So if you take a picture of the faucet before you take it apart, you can look at the, the configuration, you can see American standard on it written somewhere, or if you can identify it, big help. I mean, I can look at the handles and kind of tell you what faucet you have. You can take that to a supply house, take a picture of the stem, lay it down next to a ruler. <laughs> you know, this is no big deal. 12 inch something and go click, put it back in, so they'll know the stem is uh, five and a half inches long. You know? And that's a, that will, and short of that, you can actually take the stem in your hand, but then the water's off, and try to match it up. And they should have a book. I mean, I have a book, the Kissler book. And it has full-size stems in it. You can take your stem and lay it down right next to it. It'll tell you the name. So if you go to the plumbing house and you wanted to do that, if they didn't have, it's, they're not going to look at it. They're going to set it down on the book. So you can get it. You can get, there's a hot and cold stem. I mean, when you're looking at a faucet that has blade handles, this, the cold side goes like this. The hot side goes like that. So they're going opposite. If you have glass handles, they go the same way. Blade handles are hot and cold. Uh, 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 round handles are the same. They're both go the same way. You have to, so if you're going to get a, fall, a stem, you've got to know whether you have a hot and cold or what you've got. You can take both stems, but they're different. And then, of course, there's a seat on the bottom of this that comes out with an Allen wrench base of the faucet where the washer seats, there's a, a, there's a seat and it screws into the faucet body and they're, they're specific to the faucet that you have and they come out with an Allen wrench so you want to get the right Allen wrench in there because you don't want to strip it out because if you strip it out you'll never get it out. So you get the right Allen wrench and turn it out and, have it. and, and sometimes they're worn or chipped and that'll cause a drip you can either get another uh, seat, or sometimes, if you can't, I take it out and I put it on a, on a board, sandpaper, and I 
sand the notch out. So there'll be a little notch and that'll make the, even if you have a new washer, it'll still drip because that notch is letting water through and you can sand it out and then you can put it back in again. And you know, uh, you know you're doing everything possible to stop cutting out the wall and changing the faucet. I mean, uh, particularly when you're talking tubs and showers. If you've got a problem with a kitchen sink faucet and there's a point of no return, you yank it out of there, put a new one in. Same thing with a vanity or a lavatory. You have a tub or a shower, it's behind tile. I mean, if you're gonna, you, there's no easy way, so you do what you can to fix it. And you're talking shower, so I'm aiming yeah. this towards shower. And that's a, that's a two hand. I mean, everything now is a single handle and that's a cartridge. And that's a little different, it's a way different, but it's the same thing, match it up and change it out. Well, the, the fellows at uh, Power Supply have always been helpful, and I, I agree, taking a picture would really help a lot, because I'm kind of describing. Oh, you're not, you kill yourself. They're, they're, know, they're not geniuses. <laughs> yeah, so, and uh, it looks like it's a, a, you need to give yourself some time if you're going to do this, try to do this work. Yes, you do. I mean, and that's a problem for us as plumbers because we have to take it down to plumber supply yeah. and match it up. And that takes time. And you're paying for it, you know? So, but there's no other answer. You think I'm going to have like 10,000 stems on my truck? It's not possible. So you do the best you can. Yeah. All right. I know you were wanting to ask a question. I, I do. So I'm going to go back to toilets. So. Sorry, no offense with that. <laughs> <laughs> we all go back eventually, right? So it's. It's running okay, I flush it, water flows through, etc. I'm getting maybe two teaspoons or something like that of water out of the base of the porcelain coming out of the side, like the wax ring has yeah. butts or something. Sometimes the flush is kind of weak or doesn't feel like it's got a lot of draw to it, but I'm They're seeing a little things. water. They're different things. Okay. The first thing you do if you see water on the floor is you take either newspaper or paper towel or what have you and put it around. I'm trying to determine if the leak is coming from above the floor, like a drip at the tank no, or at the bowl, or it's coming right at the floor of the toilet. It's that. It's right at the floor of the toilet. Yeah. Is it wiggling or any sort? It's, it's not seated perfectly flat on the floor 100%, so there, you, you can force it. Right. Well, I'm, 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 but it's not like... No. All right, well, the, the first thing you're going to do in a case like that is turn the water off. There's a stop there on the left-hand side. Unscrew the supply tube. Is it probably a two-bolt system? Yep. Get the bolts out. Lift it up. Put a piece of cardboard next to it because it's probably got a wax ring on the bottom. First thing I do is I get all the water out of it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I do that automatically, but I'm not telling you to do that. There was water in the tank when you turn the water off. Take a sponge or a towel or something and get all that out of there. There's water in the bowl. Same idea, get it dry. Because otherwise it's gonna be on your floor. Yeah. So get it dry, and then you can put the toilet on the side and you can take the wax ring, scrape it off. Sometimes it's on the flange that's in the floor, sometimes it's on the bottom of the toilet. In either case, you wanna get both of them clean because you're gonna put another wax ring on there. The flange hopefully is in good shape. I didn't bring a flange, I didn't bring anything, but a flange is a disc and it has a hole on either side where you can put a closet bolt, which is the bolt that holds the toilet down. The flange sits usually flush with the floor. It's not up, if it's up high, that's not good because the toilet will sit on the flange and it's designed for a flange to be on the floor so the toilet will sit on the floor. 
if the flange is up, it'll go down and hit the flange, and it'll be off the floor a half an inch or a quarter inch. That's rare. That's rare. So that's it right there. I would replace the, the closet bolts. You know, they're like 595 for a set of closet bolts, and you put new ones on, clean it up real good, put the closet bolts in the holes, take the old ones out. I make it sound so easy. Usually they come out pretty easily. Sometimes you have to mess with it a little bit. Put the new ones in. Put the wax ring on after you put the bolts. Put the bolts on first and put the wax ring down. Usually I finesse it a little bit and I'll take my fingers and make sure that it seats well. Then I take the toilet, you know, like this. <laughs> and drop it on top of it. And then I wiggle it down. Then I put the top nuts and bolts on it. Well, there's a, there's a cover that goes on, which you may have to buy. It's called a closet bolt cover. And it's got a little um, plastic ring that goes right against the china. And then there's a washer that goes on top of that. Then there's a nut that goes on top of that. So when you're tightening it, tightening it down, that rubber gasket is against the toilet. And then you cut off the, what, the remainder of the, of the bolt and there's a cap that clicks onto that rubber gasket on the bottom. There's an up and down side on that rubber gasket. It's plastic. So you put it with the right side up so it'll click. And that's, that's it. Now you start with that. And then you flush the toilet about 10 times. And if there's no water on the floor, you're successful. If there's water on the floor, I would say the problem is probably in the piping that's under the floor, you've got a 99% chance of being successful at that. Okay. If the flange is broken, you're going to have to fix the flange, because if the flange is, is broken, you can't tighten the toilet down. So you're either going to get a repair flange or have to mess with it. If it's an old house, it'll have lead coming up through the floor and then a brass flange. That gets a little trickier. That flange should be anchored to the floor, by the way. If it's not anchored to the floor and it's a lead flange and you tighten it up, it could pull the flange right off the lead. But this is like, there's all kind. I mean, it's not one size fits all. But if you're getting water on, I mean, if it's a brass flange, take a picture of it, send it. You know, know again, know your limitations. You're going to have to get that to seal. The other thing is, if you don't get it to seal it, and the next time it's leaking, it's going to be through your ceiling. I mean, that water is going to go down before it goes up. All right. And the flange level to the floor, like if I'm looking at the flange could be either like this or down here, in which case you put two wax rings or a wax ring with a horn. There's some that have a horn. Okay. Uh, it's like a, like a funnel. Yeah. It can sit here on top of it. That's enough. You're okay. It's when it's up here that it's a problem. Okay. Because when you put the toilet down, it will not let the toilet, the china, hit the floor. We're here live at the How To Festival here on Forward Radio. That was Bruce Cohen of BC Plumbing and How To Do Basic Plumbing Repairs. I think it worked okay on the radio. How about you? So I'm back here in the atrium on the second floor, and it's really noisy with all the people here, but there are some folks doing how to get started with basic string instruments. Uh, and there's a small crowd gathered around, some cellos, some violas, violins. 
Very good. If you want to learn how to get started with strings, this is the place to be, the How To Festival, uh, going on till 3 p.m. today here at the main public library on York Street. I'm going to head back downstairs. I'm Justin Mock broadcasting to you live here on Forward Radio 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. want to remind you that we have a booth here at the How To Festival too. So if you want to stop by and see us on the north end of the building, that's the Hayburn Building side of the main public library. Our our studio's in the Hayburn Building, so we, we are neighbors of the How To Festival and the public library. Uh, but if you want to come check us out in person, this is your great opportunity to do so. Ask us any questions you want. I'm going to head back outside into the sunshine. What a beautiful day we have today. Man, there's so much going on at the How-To Festival. This is the place to be, to learn all kinds of stuff from the nerdy to the practical. <laughs> That's what I say. So as I mentioned, there is basic bike repair going on uh, through 2 p.m. And you can learn how to do basic bike maintenance with St. Matthew's Cycling. So don't miss that. Come on out. And there's also friends at the kids' tent today uh, doing all kinds of fun activities for the kids. This is a real family-friendly event, of course. And we also have Louisville Water Company here uh, giving away some of Louisville's award-winning water. Don't want to miss that. Good stuff for sure. Uh, Louisville Water Company is always friendly to community events and happy to come out and uh, share some of their love for our public water system and the award-winning Louisville Tap. Uh, they've got chilled coolers, actually. This setup is this is quite a rig. Uh, you will stay hydrated at the <laughs> How-To Festival here at the Public Library. <laughs> this is so great. Uh, it's good to have people staying hydrated in this heat uh, and learning about our public water. Uh, oh, they've got cool activities for the kids, too. Uh, it's great. It's great. This is the place to be, to stay hydrated. Stay hydrated on this hot day, right? Oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> crucial. <laughs> And uh, they could do so for free with a, an award-winning public water, right? It's true. Best tap water in the nation. Yeah. We'll be here all day serving it up ice cold just for you. This is the start of the summer festival season, right? So Louisville Water Company is going to be out and about. Oh, my gosh, yes. We will be at a lot of public events. Um, we're always at Waterfront Wednesday. That's always oh, fun. Yeah. Um, and we did the whole derby festival, so we're in the groove. We're ready to go. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and uh, bring your own bottle. You can fill it up with some. Uh, this is chilled water. Yes. Yes, it is directly from the water line, ice cold, ready to go, and we always encourage you to bring your own bottle. Let's be green, let's be sustainable. We love that. Yeah. But if you don't, they've got paper cups you can compost here, right? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Ready for all contingencies. <laughs> We're so glad you're here keeping us hydrated. Yeah, thank you so much. We're happy to be here. Are you doing some how-to-y kind of thing with water as well? Um, yes, we are. Miss Barbara Crow is here teaching both how to find leaks in your house, and she's got an activity for kids on leaks and how pipes work. So it's very interesting. I learn something every time. So <laughs> How to find leaks in your house. I was just at the plumbing workshop, so that, that ties right in. Yeah, it goes together. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> well, thanks for being here. Hey, you're very welcome. <laughs> As I mentioned, there's all kinds of booth outside in the sunshine here on Library Lane. There's stuff for kids over in the kids' tent right now. There, I see strollers. I see people of all ages. 
lined up and learning about how to respect wildlife with Rudy the Skunk. And I believe there might be some wildlife on display. It must be a small creature because it's actually crawling on the presenter. This is so cool. People are getting selfies with the wildlife here at the How To Festival. Uh, the kids love it, of course, but this is a great thing for people of all ages, hosted by Louisville's Free Public Library, and they also have a booth out here in the sunshine on Library Lane, all about how to use your public library. What a cool thing. Uh, people seem to forget the value of public libraries. You won't forget if you come on out to the booth and learn about how to uh this is a booth about how to use your public library no it is i think it is yeah yeah cool well, this is a great opportunity to learn about your public library and to do the thing you want to do great hey what's going on oh what's good how are you doing today what's your name you're live on forward radio hey i'm tracy Haishu. i bet a bunch of people on your they're listening you know me <laughs> i know you yeah, exactly <laughs> hi how's it going we're so we're so proud of the Louisville Free Public Library hosting this fantastic event again in person after two years off, right? Yeah, we're really excited to be back too. Like this is pretty much this is our biggest event back so far. So here we go. It's going really well. Absolutely. Uh, and this is a booth about how to use your public library. Yes, this is just pretty much we're here to answer questions and let people compliment us all day. That'd be nice. <laughs> Right, but we're here sign people up for library cards and just give them info about that they might not know now and just explain some stuff that's in the calendar and good things like that and summer reading because that's coming up. Yeah, do you have summer book clubs and stuff like that? Well, we have book clubs all the time. Every library has a book club, so you just have to like get involved with your library branch and figure out what's going on there and then read with your friends. So, yeah. uh, and there's there's programming for people of all ages at the library, right? Yes, all ages, babies to uh, to ninety year olds. We got it. There you go, <laughs> for sure. And people can come and sign up right now for a free library card. They sure can. Yes, we're here with them, and we'll get you signed up, and we'll tell you what's coming up. That's so great. Thank you for hosting this awesome event. All right, yay! I'm so glad you're here. And I'm going to roll over to the food trucks now and let you know what's available to dine on. I mentioned it earlier. You don't have to eat lunch before you come. You can come and sample from some of the, I'm counting, at least six food trucks out here. Uh, made in Brazil, authentic Brazilian cuisine. We've got the Good Belly Sandwich Shop. we got Boss Hogs Barbecue. we got Booty's Diner. Some of the same food trucks I recognize from Shakespeare in the Park, actually. We heard from Kentucky Shakespeare earlier. Uh, and some of their food trucks that you find in Central Park are also here. I know Booties is often there. Alchemy food truck is here. Boy, I'm not familiar with the Alchemy. Transforming simple into greatness. Uh, they've got... Oh, tacos. Yes! It doesn't have to be Tuesday to eat tacos. Ooh, the cookie cabin is here as well if you want a little snacky snack. Uh, ironically enough, the, the cookie cabin is right across the way from the milking of the cow. And my goodness, uh, what, what's going on with the cow? I don't know. I haven't seen the cow. We were just talking about the cow. Where's the cow? So wait, you came here for a different reason. I mean, we came here just to see what was going on. Definitely want to check out the garden stuff. That's on Yes, there are three different tents about gardening. Yes, absolutely. We're super excited about that. <laughs> baby goats, baby rabbits, oh my gosh, and plants. Yes, and cows. <laughs>
<laughs> and you're growing things this year. Absolutely. <laughs> but there are free plants available if you don't have them. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the beautiful festival. It's such a great day. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it is awesome to be here at the How To Festival, as usual, broadcasting to you live on 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. I'm going to head back over to the garden tents to see what's going on because, man, there is so much to learn and so many ways to learn it. Uh, you can talk directly to individuals at the garden tent or you could go to one of the many workshops like Letitia Marshall is giving right now on microgreens. Let's check out some of that. Now, these trays are shallow trays um, or one-and-a-half-inch-ish trays, um, and these are perfectly fine. When I started, I was using the two-inch trays, and what I found out was I was running through soil so fast because I can't reuse the soil. Okay, when I do a microgreens grow, I do not reuse the soil. It's impossible. The root structures are so crazy, especially with pea. They're just big and they and they they just go wild, right? Y'all see those roots? Okay, and 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 this is only four five days of growth. This isn't even ten days of growth. Okay, so so it it would just be a pain trying to shake the soil off the roots and reuse like for what? It would take so much time. So just compost it. Okay. Or use it in your garden beds. I, I, I have a no-till bed that I'm, I'm trying to build up. And so it's resting for the season. And I just dump all this on top of it. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes. I have peas and radish. That are that Really the pea that is just getting huge, right? But just jerk that sucker and rip it out and then lay it back down. Compost it. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, so I water every morning and every night. Now, I'm a t I'm a, how much time do I got there? You got about nine minutes. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yapping. Y'all should say, Letitia, stay on task. <laughs> That's what the PowerPoint's for. And I haven't looked at it in how long? Y'all didn't try to help a sister at all. <laughs> now, what I should have done was put holes in the bottom of this. Okay. Hi, babe. <laughs> So I'm gonna put my soil in. This is Pro Mix. I got my water. I just put a hole in the in the in the top. Don't go spend a lot of money, y'all. For what? Unless you're trying to be cute and put it on Instagram or something, right? <laughs> no, it's good. She's like, don't talk about me. I'm, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm just giving a little bit, you know. Cause this is quite dry. There's no holes, right? So it's not draining out. I'm just saying. So if you're gonna if you're gonna use these, just put a little tray underneath. That's the top that came with it. How many of y'all got Chinese takeout or uh, something? You know what I'm saying? Save your little containers. I use these to winter sow tomato plants. 
in the winter, okay, when I'm trying to get a start. Yeah, yeah, just with a pair of scissors. Be careful, don't cut yourself. This is pee that I, peas, yes, that I soaked. And I usually soak between, I've, I'm, I've done as little as four hours, but I've done as much as 16 because I forgot them. They started to peek the, you know, peek out a little bit. The roots did, but that's okay. Just be gentle. And I'm gonna plant a few, just like that. He can be closer together. I know. I'm sorry. Y'all can come by the table because three y'all gonna take these home. Okay. Three y'all gonna take these home. I'm gonna get them together for you real quick. Can you soak all your seeds? Nope. Just a pea. No, they're done pea. D-U-N. Done pea. Sweet. gonna grow them all in the same tree. Okay. But what what did we learn about this one? If we're gonna grow them all in the same tree, can we expect them all to sprout at the same time? And here's my sunflower. Black oil, black oil sunflower. Done pea. And uh, this is China Rose Radish. Okay. I don't know if y'all can see this or not, but y'all come on up and see it in a minute. And now I'm gonna give it a little bit more water because when I do production, I put after I sow my seed, I put a tray on top and then put a 15-pound paver on top, and that just helps me uh, to be able to germinate everything uh, across uh, evenly. Okay, but you don't have to do that at home. Just fix your little your little bowl, your little takeout container get a dark uh like towel like a little hand towel or a washcloth as long as it's dark or you can put the top on it so you can carry it under uh to your bedroom and put it under your bed because it's dark right and your seed you're going to give your seed time to germinate and put the top on it because it helps keep the moisture in put it under your bed okay or somewhere in the dark corner or whatever in three days, I want you to check it. Write that down. Three days. Check to see if they sprouted or germinated. Right? You'll start to see little roots come out. Put it back under your bed in the dark. Then come back the next day. So day four, you're going to come back. And you should have some, some movement. Okay? And then you're going to maybe give it a little bit more water. You can spritz it with a sprayer. Right? Stick tight back on it. Put it back under the bed. Can y'all do that? Next day, peep at it. Give it a little bit of water. Put it back under the bed. Okay? So you need three days to germinate. Um, three to four, but typically three. Three days in blackout, which means that they've germinated. Now they're starting to grow. And so if the plants are touching the top, go and take the top off. Stick it back under the bed. <laughs> For three more days because again we're trying to get the length right have y'all ever heard of leggy plants oh my tomatoes are leggy what do i do to fix it right well you want legginess with microgreens that's really what's happening we're, we're making it get leggy we're making them stretch really tall and then at a day six or, or day what was that day five day five or day six pull them out put them in the sun when, before you put, there's a picture on there that shows you the pea, 
and and you might not be sick because it's black and white but the pea are really light and then after they go into lights or get sunlight or grow light they turn green okay so you need three more days uh, under lights and then you're ready to eat so seven to ten ish days to grow microgreens any questions yes sir No, I don't put soy on the refrigerator. No, go ahead and harvest them and put them in an airtight container of some sort. Um, if you're going to put them in a, in a, like a Ziploc bag, put a piece of paper towel in there with it. Because the paper towel will get some of that moisture for you. Okay. But yeah, don't put soy in your, in your refrigerator. Yes, ma'am. Leaf. Oh, the oh, the sprout, the sprout. Okay, the what's that word, Justin? Con, con, con No, the, wait a minute. I'm trying to. Who said it? Say it loud. Okay, because you know the other word was close, and I was trying not to say. It. I was trying to follow you, Letitia. I don't know. <laughs> so those are the two sprouts, and then the one true leaf comes up. Yes. Well, before that, like right before that, the pea will get a tendril. You know what a tendril is? Those little like hair-like structures that kind of curl because they're trying to grab onto something. Okay, and so once you start to see the little tendril, uh, it's probably around that time to harvest. Okay, it's okay if it's a couple days after that. It'll be it'll be very tasty anyway. Go ahead. We're listening to Letitia Marshall's workshop on how to grow microgreens here at the How To Festival, broadcasting to you live on Forward Radio from the main public library. I think the dollar twenty-five store. Okay. Y'all know they went up in their prices. <laughs> it's a dollar twenty-five store. It's a great place to buy seeds. Just do it, okay? There are there are seeds that say microgreens. They apparently are made or grown to be a microgreen seed. I don't have time to get into that. But really, if you have kale, broccoli plants, or seed, or radish seeds, or sunflower that are edible, that you use to plant for edible crops, you use them first before you start to jump into the whole marketing scheme, okay? <laughs> No, what are nightshade plants? Yeah, don't eat tomato leaves. Don't eat potato leaves. Mm -mm. Sweet potato leaves you can't eat. Sweet potato leaves you can't eat. Yes. Are any other questions? How about how am I doing on time? Wrapping up. Who said that? Thank you. Come here. There you go. Y'all come up, check out Letitia's setup. We do have a couple of upcoming library programs that may be of interest. So I have these flyers if you want to snap a picture. There are a few more cards as well as some cards for our Kentucky and a Backyard Farm presented prior to this. Feel free to grab those. Thank you all so much. Two more people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Yes.
We are broadcasting live from the How To Festival here at the Main Public Library at York and 3rd. We're right outside in the garden tent on 3rd Street. So many people are excited to learn how to grow. And the Urban Agriculture Coalition is here to support your growing. Everything from... You know, big animals we heard earlier from Vaughn Barnes about how to raise goats to, uh, you know, the microgreens. Everything from the big to the small is here. And so is Stephen Bartlett from Forward Radio's proud community partner, Sustainable Ag Louisville. Man, how are you doing today? I'm good, Justin. Isn't this the best event of the year? Beautiful. <laughs> People were astonished. Their mouths were hanging open. They, you giving away these plants and seeds? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Letitia, Letitia was just wonderful She's presentation. Great. She's great, yeah. Yeah, there's so much to learn here in the urban ag tents, uh, along with picking up some free seeds. I mean, you can learn about animals. There's going to be a chicken workshop. Uh, they're beekeeping over there, too. Yeah. And they're going to milk a cow, there's too. There's a cow milking station. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Come on out and check it out, right? <laughs> Please do. This is... It's where it's happening, right here at York and third, third. All right. Yeah. All right. Good to see you, Stephen. Uh, oh, he brought his trumpet too. There might be, might be a little tooting going on. All right. You can learn how to play uh, some musical instruments. Again, I mentioned up on the second floor, there is uh, learn how to get started with basic string instruments, and uh, you know, Louisville Grows is doing some workshops on how to plant a tree. It's getting a little late in the season. Uh, but Jackie from Louisville Grows is out here showing the people how to plant trees. We just did a demo using a ball and burlaps uh, tree. So this tree I'm looking at that they just planted here on 3rd Street is beautiful. It's about 10 feet tall. Uh, there's going to be another workshop. You didn't miss it. If you're not here yet, uh, they are going to repeat the How to Plant a Tree workshop. Let me just check the schedule to remind myself of when that is happening. Out here on, oh, it was at 10. They did it twice. They did two How to Plant a Tree workshops. Uh, so you can come and see the beautiful tree. Uh, and if you come out right now uh, to Garden Tent number 3, you can speak directly with Louisville Grows. Uh, and get some tips about how to do it. Um, let's listen in to Jackie. Absolutely, absolutely. Because um, we need to remember, like, when those trees were dug out of the ground, they lost probably about half or more of their root mass. Um, so yeah. So if you're planting in the fall, you don't need to water about water. Worry about watering it as much. But um, one of the best things we can do for trees uh, when we plant them is to water them as it goes. So watered every month or so in the summer? Uh, in the summer, I would do about uh, probably weekly. Oh, weekly. And, and we actually, we use one of these water bags. Um, these hold about 20 gallons, 15 to 20 gallons. And there's other versions of these. Uh, people are kind of split on these, actually. These have their problems as well. But uh, trees prefer a lot of water all at once versus a little water um, uh, throughout the week. Because uh, the soil needs to be at a certain level of moisture for the tree to be able to absorb a lot of a lot of that water from the micro the macro pores in the soil. Um, so uh, when you water it, um, you know we say give the tree about 15 gallons of water in one day, and uh, something like this helps with that a lot because you can put all the water in at once, and over about seven to ten hours, it'll kind of seep out into the soil. Water bag. 
Yeah. Where do you get those? I tried to get those a few years ago and couldn't find them. Um, we get these down from Premium Horticulture on Jefferson Street. Um, a lot of people also like to use those water wells. I like these for an urban environment um, because it's another tool to keep trees away from, or to keep uh, lawn equipment and weed eaters away from the bark. Because um, again, probably one of one of the high uh, one of the highest causes of death for young trees in the city is damage from lawn equipment. Um, after water, it's damage from from lawn equipment. Absolutely. Jackie, um, do you know about this thing called a tree diaper? A tree diaper? No, I don't. Okay, I did a volunteer planting with Louisville Metro Parks uh -huh. uh, on like Jefferson Street or something, and they're like, we're not doing the bags, we're doing these diaper things. What? So you lay them down, they're, they're like donuts shaped, oh, right? Oh, I, I know the donuts. And they have in them some kind of thing that holds moisture. It, it, it's like a sponge, right? Um, it, it, was, it wasn't spongy. It was had these loose granule things really? in it. Yeah, I'd never heard of it before. I, I haven't seen those a lot. I, I know other organizations use the, the tree wells, which are essentially this plastic well. I've that seen that with Trees Louisville it. doing the plastic and well. Yeah. I think those definitely have advantages too. My, my they problem, don't hold as much, do they? They don't hold as much, but my problem with these is these need to be removed. Um, at some point. At some point, one, or else uh, they can girdle the tree. Also, yeah. it's good for them to be removed in the winter to reduce the amount of moisture. A lot of times, also, we take these off of young trees and then the bark that's been underneath this for two years isn't used to the amount of light and heat and trees can essentially get a sunburn, yeah. um, uh, which, uh, again, if that bark becomes damaged, can lead to a lot of pests and disease getting in there. Um, so there's definitely advantages to both. I, th I predict in the near future, uh, my organization's probably gonna go away from these. Um, but we'll see, so I don't know. <laughs> the gist I want is, if you, if oh, oh, you want to live, okay, yeah. then water it once or twice a week during the summer. Okay, for like three years. Uh, yeah, but we say from from Derby to Halloween, water the tree, once or twice a week. Is is that helpful for you? Yeah, I'm good. I think I'm all done. <laughs> thank you so much. I, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. Good luck. Hey, uh, you can find us on, on Facebook uh, or Instagram. If you want have any tree questions, please throw them at us, and they'll probably get passed along to me, and I'd be happy to reach out, okay? All right, thank right. you. Thank you so much. Black walnuts uh -huh. near other trees. They kill the other trees. So black walnuts are in a family of tree that have a chemical in them that inhibits the growth of things around them. Um, that's why you never want to use black walnut, walnut mulch on stuff. Um, again, you do see black walnuts growing next to other trees in natural environments. Um, so it, it is okay, um, but just be aware, don't, don't plant them next to your azaleas. Don't plant them next to, to your beautiful prized dogwood. Um, where, where, have you planted walnuts? I haven't planted them. I got a cul-de-sac and a, the back corner is like wild trees. Oh, really? Okay. It's about probably 10 black walnuts, a whole bunch of uh, cottonwoods. Cool, uh, yeah. Love a cottonwood. Chipping, chipping oak, the chipping. Cool, uh-huh. And uh, tulip popper, one tulip popper, sycamore, willow. Got quite a few trees. Oh, that, that's, that's awesome. wondering if the black walnuts are going to kill everything else. Here. It's not, they're not going to kill it. Um, you know, I mean, they'll adapt. I'm that the squirrels will plant the black walnuts. 
Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, you you know they are. The squirrels might be the only ones who like them. I, lo I love a walnut tree, but um, definitely, you know, even the city plants walnuts sometimes. So it's it's not, it's not something you necessarily don't want to totally stay away from, um, but they, they definitely do have a mechanism that inhibits the growth of other things, which honestly good for them because, you know, trees need it, so. Um, Hey, thank you. I appreciate you being here. Uh, again, uh, like I said to Alicia, please uh, reach out through Facebook, Instagram, whatever, um, if you have questions about trees, okay? Thank you. All right, thanks. Appreciate you. Jackie, you and I have planted trees, millions of trees, right? Millions. Uh, but we've never done it at this time of year. Isn't it a little late? Uh, so uh, part of what I was saying to people is I was asked, when's the best time to plant trees? And people are like, oh, the fall. I'm like, okay, when's the second best time to plant trees? They're like... Uh, in the spring before everything leaves out. And I'm like, okay, when's a good time not to plant trees? I'm like, they're like, now? I'm like, yes. Yeah. Um, but there are ways to mitigate that, um, watering it really effectively uh, when you plant it. And yeah. also, um, uh, yeah, but but you definitely see higher rates of mortality right, and, and right, failure. Right, right. So yeah. It's hard to resist, though, this time of year. People get excited about planting things. And it is odd. People <laughs> get excited about trees around Arbor Day, which yeah, I guess yeah. is like in mid-April. Yeah. And then uh, uh, they come in and say, hey, can I plant trees with you? I'm like, we're, we should be done. If we're not done, I'm, I'm worried. Um, but, um, yeah, ideally, I would love to not have any more trees to plant right now. So what did you plant today right here on 3rd Street? Uh, this is a Tapella black gum. Uh, is a, it's a native tree, uh, kind of a medium-sized tree that has really nice fall colors. They're really common in the southern states. Uh, they, have, uh, they love water. They love moist soil. Hope it gets enough water here, but they've shown to be really tolerant city trees as well. Yeah. We also did a Schumert oak, which is a kind of a, a red oak species that's kind of native to Texas area. We think the oldest tree at the University of Louisville's Belknap campus is a Schumert oak. It's right outside of Ekstrom Library. Yeah, it's right at the entrance there to the quad, and I love that tree. Yeah, I I, I know that uh, there's so m that was my favorite part about attending U of L was all the beautiful trees. I think I'm overdue for, because uh, uh, I, I know there's a pretty good tree inventory tree tour there yeah, on yeah. campus. I think I'm overdue for checking out the trees yeah, there. Yeah, come on out and check it out. Yeah. So not a great time for planting trees maybe, but Louisville Grows has other things going on this summer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, today we are having a plant sale, um, uh, one of our last plant sales. Not at the greenhouse, at Portland the, Avenue. Yeah, at 1641 Portland Avenue. Um, we're uh, selling uh, a lot of plants that... Uh, are you know may is a great time to plant them your, your peppers uh your tomatoes a lot of that a lot of that stuff we love to grow at home um also things we do during the summer you know we're uh next week we have three or four different build days with different community gardens that have asked us for assistance um so that's one kind of key piece of what we do is kind of help supporting community gardens that way in fact you just awarded your community garden grants right uh yeah that's correct i think uh six different gardens uh uh applied for support and and we granted that to them and that ranges from everything from uh, building raised beds to getting soil amendments to soil testing um compost uh systems um and of course plants and and, and stuff like that so well great Go Louisville Grows, LouisvilleGrows.org, and SeedsAndStartsSale.org, is that right? SeedsAndStarts.org. SeedsAndStarts.org. Yeah, check it out. I love how dirty Jackie is right now. That That's what's happening here at the Urban Agriculture Coalition's How-To Festival Tents. We're getting dirty and giving away free stuff. It's the thing to do. Uh, so come on, check it out. I'm here at the garden tent number three. We are about to hear 
from Hart Hagen, proud community broadcaster with us. You know him from the Climate Report here on Forward Radio, but Hart is also a part of Wild Ones, and that's a local organization promoting native plants. And Hart is going to talk here at high noon in two minutes. Hart's going to be talking about how to attract birds and butterflies to your yard using native plants. You won't want to miss that. Also coming up in the garden tents, we're going to learn about how to plant a garden and walk away from the amazing Amanda Fuller from Lots of Food and the Urban Ag Culture Coalition. And we're also going to learn from Mariel Gardner, an amazing grower from Fifth Element Farms, talking about how to start an upcycled garden. As you heard from Letitia Marshall just a minute ago, you don't have to spend a lot of money to grow. You can just use the detritus of modern society, right? And Mariel Gardner is going to take over Garden Tent number which one is she in she's in garden tent number one to talk about how to start an upcycled garden and Hart Hagen is getting ready to start his talk here on how to attract birds and butterflies He's going to step up to the mic, and we're going to put him on the mic here on Forward Radio. And this is Justin Mogg from Forward Radio, WFMP, 106.5 FM, Louisville. Justin, what brings you here today? Well, I love to learn, and you can learn on Forward Radio as well about the climate, right? Yeah. Right. Do you want me to make a plug for the Climate Report right here? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. I am also host of, on 106.5 Forward Radio, WFMP Louisville, I'm host of the Climate Report, which is uh, on Mondays at 7 o'clock, and Justin will have to tell you when else it is, because it, it, it varies. Yeah, I'll, you're supposed to have the whole schedule <laughs> memorized. So, Tell me why you came here today. Anybody, anybody. Why, why you came to this particular thing? Fun, learning. Fun, learning. Yes. Learning. Butterflies. Butterflies. Bees. Bees. Pollination. Okay. So bees, butterflies, and birds all have one thing in common. Many things probably, but they're living things. So what do all living things need? They need food. They need water. They need shelter. They, they need air, right. And I like to say they need freedom from toxins and freedom from the blade, you know. Maybe it's a mower, things like that. We need to limit how much we cut and how much we poison. And shelter means different things to different... But we'll be talking about, you know, how to make a home for living things where you live. Now, if you're out driving in a typical suburban or urban street, what do you see? You're driving down the road. You see houses, and what else do you see? Describe to me the landscapes that you see when you're driving down the street. Everything's manicured. Manicured. What's wrong with that? Toxins on it, etc. What, what else do you see? Do you, so what else do you see when you go down the street? Somebody raise your hand. Yes. Concrete. 
No dandelions, right. Lack of flowers. So when you're driving down the road, do you see the things that you need to see in order for living things to have a place to be? Can we agree that we don't have enough of what is needed for living things to be able to live where we live? Now, human beings have covered the entire planet. There is no out there anymore. There, nature is not out there anymore. Nature is where we live. And so I'm just saying. Now, let me see, show you what I, I brought from home. We said that living things need food, among other things. We're talking about bees, butterflies, and birds. So I'm going to grab something random out of here. Does anyone recognize this? Honeysuckle. Isn't honeysuckle good? Not if it's invasive. So there is a native honeysuckle, but there are non-native and invasive honeysuckles. This is one. This is called bush honeysuckle. It's original for, originally from the Amur region, which is the, a river that separates Russia and China. It, it is not from around here. Some non-natives are okay. This one is not okay. You see a lot of this. So the thing about a non-native is that, well, the thing about plants generally is that plants don't want to be eaten. Plants don't want their leaves to be eaten. They do want their blooms to be eaten because that's how pollination happens, but plants don't want their leaves to be eaten. So they load them up with all kinds of toxic chemicals, except that, you know, insects get smart and they learn over the course of evolutionary time, they learn how to like get past the toxic chemicals that are in these leaves. So that's why it's important for, for us to have the native plants that our insects have evolved with. And that's why uh, caterpillars are, are important. That, that's connected to, on your sheet there, uh, your sheet that has like 15 categories of questions. We're going to talk about, one thing, why are caterpillars important, etc. So, now... Anybody recognize this? It took all of five minutes to cut all this in my backyard. Winter creeper, exactly, winter creeper. So winter creeper is a, a vine from Asia. It's, a, uh, it, it's evergreen. It, it was brought here because it's ornamentally, it's nice, but it's everywhere. So bush honeysuckle and winter creeper are among the worst invasive species. And I'm not saying eradicate them because that takes too much time and effort and it, and it tempts you to use poisons and we don't want to do that. But I'm saying they have to be controlled because our caterpillars, for example, caterpillars are leaf-eating insects, our caterpillars cannot eat this because it has toxins that they have never learned to, to get around. So, where were we? Okay, that's winter creeper. Um, okay. What's this? The people in the front have an advantage. Right, Justin, my man. Yes, uh, this is mulberry, and mulberries are, some of them are native, some are not, and they've hybridized. You know, I'm, I have no problem with mulberries. I really, uh, I sometimes cut them because they're not in the right place, but they also, you know, they produce berries, etc. It's one of those things that maybe it's not native, but it's not harmful either. What do we have here? And you're a good, you're good if you can identify this. There's a lot of them, but it, it, the leaves look very similar to other things you'll see. 
This is a hackberry. There are a lot of them. Hackberries and box elders are the ones that grow the most, like in our streamside situations. They grow fast. They're opportunists. They are native. And if you want a hackberry emperor moth, it helps to have hackberries. So, you know, they don't look great, but then beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, right? I like seeing hackberries because I know they're supporting our native ecology. Yes, hackberries are native to here. So, this... If the wind weren't blowing, you might, it has a fairly recognized, it's one of the biggest leaves you'll see. This is a catalpa, and um, so there's that. A catalpa is native, and I, I didn't get any oaks. Okay, here we go. Poke. Make poke salad. Somebody needs to teach me how to eat this. I know it's edible, and I know... Yeah, right, so that's poke. So in most places, this would be considered a weed or most the, the, the mindset of most homeowners and most professional landscapers. This is a weed, get rid of it, but it is native, it's, it's edible, it is good. So let's not uh, eradicate, let's, let's uh, leave spaces for these. So what do we have on our, on our list here? Somebody go down the list and, and raise your hand and ask one of those questions on the list. What can we learn from, did I say that? What, uh, question 5A, what can we learn from the monarch butterfly? So do we know monarch butterflies are in trouble? Do we know they've declined dramatically in recent years? And they've declined dramatically because... You really have to speak up. Poisoning, insecticides, yes, that's an important part of it, so that is a, uh, that is a reason. And habitat, habitat, so habitat means a place, uh, where uh, habitat means different things, but it means, among other things, food. So th what do the monarch butterfly caterpillars eat? Milkweed, so we need milkweed. So uh, one thing we can learn from the monarch butterfly is that they have declined because they don't have enough of what they eat. So living things need food, water, air, their version of shelter, and monarch butterfly caterpillars do not have enough of what they need to eat. Somebody throw out another question. Good question. Where can you get milkweed, and is it full sun? Or mostly milkweed is is, uh, is is sun, mostly sun, although it can migrate into the shade and sometimes do okay. So where do you get it? Well, on this list I have, where's, what are my favorite... What are my favorite uh, pollinator plants? Ones you can get for free, even though we uh, we also but where you can get it, uh, and we want to support our local native plant vendors. The ones that come to mind. My apologies if I leave anybody out. Blaliano Helvey at Idlewild Wild Butterfly Farm is one. Margaret Shea at Dropseed Nursery is another, and. Grow, uh, Alicia Wilder at Grow Wilder. I will repeat these if you want, and I have left some out. But another place where I want you to take advantage of getting plants and trees, etc., is I, I can refer you to different seed swaps like Wild Ones Louisville. Uh, 
I'm Hart Hagen, president of Wild Ones Louisville. Wild Ones Louisville has a Facebook group that has 2,300 members on it, and I want you to, if you're on Facebook, I want you to go join it and feel free to ask, like, I need plants. Does anybody have anything to give me? I have uh, I spent most of the, or a couple hours this morning planting something that somebody gave me for free. All I had to do was drive out to get them. I, you know, my front yard is not that big, but it's covered in the the plants about a, 18 inches apart. It's covered with plants that I've gotten from two people. I've got goldenrod. I've got purple coneflower. I've got mint. I've got oregano. I've got brown-eyed susans. I've got common milkweed, and just from people that wanted to give them away because you you know that's the way it works yes we're gonna switch tents from the urban agriculture coalition broadcasting live here at the how-to festival at the public library from now until 3 p.m we're gonna hear from amanda fuller of lots of food on how to plant a garden and walk away put them in the water and give them some time it's a good question How many sweet potatoes do you get on one sweet potato plant? That is a great question. My experience is that it varies a lot depending on your soil. If you have good soil and the right kind of soil, I want to manage your expectations here. <laughs> this is my husband. <laughs> and he was with me gardening the first year that I think we... The nine pounder? The first year we even grew sweet potatoes. We had a nine pound sweet potato. And it was all delicious. And it was all delicious. And that was only one of the potatoes that was on the plant. Like, we had littler ones that were also in that plant when we unburied it, right? So, okay, you're probably not going to get a nine-pound sweet potato. But um, sweet potatoes, this is a delightful fun fact. Sweet potatoes seem to do well in new ground. If you're tearing up a lawn and you want to plant sweet potatoes, that is probably the best place to try them. I don't know why. Um, maybe there's a soil scientist here who could help us understand why that is, but anecdotally, people have said that a lot, and that was our experience because this is a new garden where we had torn up the grass. Um, normally, though, <laughs> under normal conditions, if your soil is reasonably fertile and loose and not too compacted, I would say to expect two to three pounds of sweet potatoes, maybe off of one plant. And who can ever have too many sweet potatoes? There's really no such thing, right? I mean, so just take them, harvest them, as long as you dry them in your house, they'll store over the winter for a very, very long time. Yeah. Next year, I should do a workshop just on sweet potatoes. But hello, this is amazing. Everybody should grow sweet potatoes, so thank you. Um, when do you know to pull them up or dig them out more properly? You want to dig them out as late as possible, but ideally before the frost. So they have vines, they cover the ground as vines. That's one of the reasons that I like them for the walkaway garden because they cover the ground and they don't get a lot of weeds. Those vines will get damaged in the frost. And if those vines get too damaged, that frost damage can actually go up the vine and into the actual root, root of the potato. So if it's just frosted one night and then you get out to them the next day and dig them up, you're fine, okay? We don't get like heavy, heavy frost usually the first time. But I always wait as late as possible, late October, early November, because I want them to get as big as they can, right? Then I bring them inside, lay them out on some newspaper or somewhere dry, inside where it's like a little bit warm and they will cure. They'll get like a little bit of a hardening on the skin that will allow them to store longer for the winter.
Yeah. Or you can eat them right away, but you're probably not going to eat all of them right away. Yay! Who here raise your hand if you don't love sweet potatoes? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, what else is on our list? I think I lost my piece of paper. Thank you. <laughs> what did we do? What's next? Squash. Winter squash. This is actually one of my winter squashes. I grew it last fall and I still have a few left because we had so many wonderful squashes. We saved them over the winter and it's still squash. It's a little butternut or honey nut. Yeah, it's really cute. Any kind of winter squash will work. Whatever your favorite winter squash is, it's a good one for a walkaway garden. They crawl out and climb all over your yard. They cover up a lot of space. And um, so you don't get a lot of weeds once they get established. And they really don't need a ton of attention. So um, I would recommend some that are pest resistant and disease resistant. Um, one that I like a lot that is like a southern heirloom variety is called Seminole. It's from Florida originally, from Seminole Indians. And it's, I think, more delicious than butternut. It's a brown kind of squash like this, but don't tell butternut, it's actually more delicious than butternut. And it doesn't get any squash bugs. <laughs> it's really, really successful here. So if you can track those down, Seminole, like Seminole Indians. It's my very, very favorite. Yeah, uh, you won't go back. <laughs> and they're heirlooms, so you can save the seeds as long as you don't have other varieties of squash nearby, whereas a lot of butternuts are hybrids and you can't necessarily save the seeds all the time. Okay, and then um, since we mentioned squash, um, another formula that might be really good and very, very, very low maintenance, um, three sisters uh, with corn and beans. This is some corn, and our colleague over here, Stephen Bartlett, is giving a workshop at 2 o'clock about um, making your own tortillas with this very corn. This very corn. This is from a plot that we share on um, Bar Farm in Mead County, and we grow corn, beans, and squash. It's it's the most walk-away garden really ever. <laughs> it's like the ancient prototype of the walk-away garden. Um, we plant the corn, beans, and squash all at the same time. We do go back and weed it on average about one time, but it's very, very low maintenance because those three crops take care of themselves. And I bet you if you go at 2 o'clock, Stephen is going to tell you more about that. He's a great spokesperson for the three sisters here. Here's one of the kinds of beans that we have grown in those Three Sisters plots. This is an heirloom that I actually got at a seed swap many years ago. It's called Arkansas Razorback. It's a variety that's heirloom to our region, came from Arkansas. These are very, very prolific beans. They grow really well here. They're delicious. If you like a black-eyed pea or a cow pea kind of bean, they're really, really good. And I'll give you a fistful of these after if you want some. Arkansas Razorback. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And here's some kusha seeds um, from a kusha squash. Just as an example, there's other kinds of squashes that you can do this with. Kusha. They're big. Um, those would work. I think the big blue ones are Hubbards. Kusha are the ones that are sort of like really like schmoo shaped. They have like a sort of butt and then like the taller, they're like orange and white striped or green and white striped. 
yeah, you like at the roadside stands, you see them a lot. They're like a Kentucky kind of Appalachian uh, variety. Yeah, you can make a lot of food with a kushaw squash. They're really good. And they grow really well here. Um, my friend, my neighbor had had like 13 of them in her backyard off of a couple of plants <laughs> a couple years ago. She was leaving them on people's porches. And these are like a 15-pound squash. Yes, ma'am. The beans, good question. The beans I showed you are a dry bean. And I'm glad you asked because I was going to say that. The beans that you want for this kind of system, you want a dry bean, not a green bean. You want a dry bean, ideally, that when they dry out, that the pod doesn't break open. So there are, and you have to look, you have to like do a little research about the heirloom beans because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of amazing, delicious, beautiful heirloom beans for dry beans. Some of them, when they're dry and mature, the pod will stay to closed, it'll stay together, and it will stay on the plant. Other ones, and this is just adaptation, you know, plants want to reproduce and spread their seeds around. Some of them, when they dry out, that pod will actually break open really easily, and the seeds will go, whee, <laughs> because they want to plant themselves. Um, so look for ones that stay closed that you can harvest even if you don't get to them right away, right? That's what you want if you want a low-maintenance garden. And they're all delicious and amazing, but um, there used to be a website that was just Kentucky heirloom beans, and I haven't looked for that recently. I don't know if it's still there. But again, Southern Exposure is my favorite go-to for regional heirlooms. And um, ask around if you know people who grow beans. Um, that's a very, that's an excellent question. The choice of bean is actually important. Green beans are not on the list. And other things that are not on the list. If you want to walk away from your garden, don't grow fast growing things like radishes or lettuce. If you walk away from those, they will be gone before you come back and look at them. <laughs> Don't plant things that need frequent harvesting. Okra. If you have you ever grown okra, you need to harvest it about every day. Green beans, same. Green beans, once they get going, like you better harvest them every other day or you're going to lose a lot of green beans, right? These are not things for your walkaway garden. You don't want to really plant seeds that are tricky germinating. Carrots can be really slow and fickle about germinating. Um, parsnips, beets charred, things that are a little bit like slow or um, uncertain. You don't want to walk away from those. You're going to need a little TLC and water while they're germinating, so don't plant those in this garden. Also, things that get a lot of pests. So, I'm sorry kale, I'm sorry cabbage, I'm sorry eggplant. <laughs> you belong somewhere else. <laughs> you don't belong in this garden. They need a little more uh, watching because they're delicious to us and they're delicious to a lot of other things. So, those are things that you're probably going to lose if you put them in a garden that you aren't planning to take care of a lot. Okay, the last category of things are perennials. Um, I actually forgot to bring my Jerusalem artichokes. Um, they are a tuber that are really low maintenance. It's an, actually a native plant that makes a delicious edible tuber, sunchokes. You may also know them as sunchokes. Another perennial that I really love that could be um, in 
your walkaway garden, a lot of perennials are very low maintenance. So rhubarb, a lot of people don't grow this anymore, but I love rhubarb. Um, if you have a place, I recommend a little bit of shade, like maybe not a super hot, sunny place. My rhubarb is really happiest in a place where it has a little bit of shade. I think our climate is just not very friendly to some rhubarb. So um, it's one that can work well though. Alaska, yes, okay. <laughs> That's where rhubarb might be really happy, but um, give it some shade and you can get some rhubarb. Other perennials that are good, um, a lot of herbs you can make work in a system like this. Um, my sage is beautiful and flowering right now. There's a ton of sage to give away over at the garden, uh, the urban agriculture tent. Rosemary, also a really wonderful perennial herb. A lot of this we have to give away over at the urban agriculture tent today too. Those are good ones. A couple others that could work, maybe. Uh, these are raspberries, red raspberries. Um, raspberries are pretty low maintenance. Blackberries are pretty low maintenance if they have enough mulch. So those can work in a system that you're not maintaining a lot, but you do have to go back and pick the berries, so don't forget that part. Um, also, I put on that list things that we think of as weeds that I think of as wild greens. Does anybody know lamb's quarters? Or does anybody eat lamb's quarters? Do you recognize this or have this in your garden? What would you say? It makes great soup greens. These are delicious greens. They're related to spinach. They're related to Swiss chard. Uh, this is lamb's quarters. It's a wild green. <laughs> you might also recognize it as a weed. It grows all through the summer. It is super happy in the hot weather after your kale has died, after your mustard greens have died. Um, this is a great green and it's very, very low maintenance because it's a weed. <laughs> so this is a good one in a garden you want to walk away from. I save these. Um, I'll probably go home and plant this one unless somebody wants to take it home. And then another, another wild green that I really like is chickweed. And another one I really like is purslane. Does anybody know purslane? Purslane, yeah. It's a kind of a succulent plant. It grows as a weed. Some farmers have actually started cultivating it and growing it because it's so delicious and nutritious as a green vegetable. It's actually a plant that's very high in omega-3s, so it's very nutritious for you. So anyway, those are some perennials um, and self-seeding annuals that can be very good in your walkaway garden. And let's go to part two. The second part of your walkaway garden is what to do to make it successful. After you've chosen your plants, here's how you do it. This is compost. If you're not planning to go back and do much in your garden, you want to make sure that it, you're starting with really good soil. I like to put soil on in the fall if I can or over the winter when I'm not doing anything else, just sitting around eating popcorn. You know, I can go out and put some compost on my garden once in a while. Um, or early spring before you plant is fine too. And this is a little, to keep it tidy and a little shell for you. Can you mix compost with other soil or yes. can you put it just by itself? You can, some compost you can use by itself if you're putting it in a container. Some compost is perfectly fine that you can plant right into it, depending on the compost. But yes, typically we like put it on and mix it with the soil that we have or mix it in a container with what we have. Yes, absolutely. I'm not super particular about how much compost and what kind of compost. Like, all compost is good. <laughs> Don't be too, you know, uh, what's the word? Yeah, picky or particular about it.
within this genus. So for a lot of the things that I mentioned, sweet potato, squash, things that you're planting like a plant into the ground, we're not starting from seeds for some of these things. If you're starting from a plant, you're going to lay this down on your garden. This is, this is a mulch. So this is how you keep weeds from growing around all your plants. I cut little holes out and I might put a potato in here or a sweet potato slip in here or a squash plant in here. And then there, those plants are already established and you have, a, you have a protection against your weeds. So the cardboard is free. <laughs> I'm not into spending a lot of money in my garden. Mariel Gardner's giving an amazing talk right now about how not to spend any money growing your garden. I'm missing that, unfortunately, but she's amazing. On top of that, I put more mulch. Burlap is another thing you can do if you don't have cardboard. If you have access to these, this can also be pretty good mulch. Um, I salvage it from tree plantings because people use um, burlap to wrap trees. If you plant trees as a volunteer, you'll find piles of this at the end of the day that we take off the tree balls. So that's another good source of burlap if you don't have coffee bags. On top of your base layer, I put straw. Um, or I put newspaper shredded up. Or I put leaves. You just want um, a good layer there to keep the weeds down and to keep the moisture in the ground. So you really want to not have to water, and the mulch is really key to keeping the weeds down and keeping the moisture in the ground. So that if you do have to water, you can water infrequently. What about that black plastic stuff? <laughs> I don't like black plastic. <laughs> um, it doesn't let water penetrate through into the ground, and it's plastic. And it costs money, <laughs> and there's lots of things that are good to use that don't cost money that are better for your soil. Landscape fabric, it is permeable. Um, I don't like it because the last two things still apply. It's still made of plastic and you still have to spend money on it. So I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm more a fan of the burlap, the cardboard, things that are biodegradable because those will actually nourish your soil as they biodegrade. And so you're building soil, you know, while you garden. Did that work? Okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Thank you. I have a lot of cats in my neighborhood. She said she put burlap around her plants to keep the cats from digging and pooping in her garden. Ah. Yes. Eggshells, sure. Eggshells are calcium. Yeah, plants need calcium, so absolutely. If you don't have compost or you don't put eggshells in your compost, you could put them on separately, sure. Coffee grounds go in the compost. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And I believe there's a workshop on compost. Is it later today? About worm compost. Yeah, so go to that workshop. Okay. Um, let's talk about water, since I just started talking about water. The mulch layer will retain a lot of water underneath of it, but if it only rains a little bit, that rain is going to come and it's going to maybe get like, it'll make your straw wet, but it's not going to soak all the way in to your soil, right? So if it's been dry for a long time, what are you going to do to keep your soil moist and keep it low maintenance? So here's a little trick that I like. 
to sort of minimize your work a little bit. Um, if you can find one of these. <laughs> what is it? It's a plastic jug. It's a plastic jug with a lid on it. Yes, radio audience, we're talking about a plastic jug. Poke holes in your plastic jug all the way around. Little teeny holes, not big holes, little teeny holes. You want the water to seep out slowly. The idea is this is a slow-release watering system. Poke a hole in the bottom, too. And then you're going to bury the plastic jug in your ground, um, or as many of these as you want along in the garden. Bury it down, and then you're going to leave it poking out just about an inch or two so that you can find it, and hopefully it has a red cap on it or something that makes it easy to find in the garden. Then you can come along, fill this up, if it really doesn't rain and you really need to water your garden, you can fill this up or fill as many of them up as you want. Fill it up once and then you don't need to water for at least a week probably because the soil is going to stay in the, in the soil. It's not going to evaporate because you have all that mulch and because this is going right in the ground, it's not even like at the surface of the soil, so it's not going to evaporate off the soil. So there's another trick for keeping your water input, you know, your work uh, minimized. What else do we say about water? If you have a soaker hose or drip tape, that's another version of this. It's a slow-release water system that you would hook up to your hose, and you can run that drip tape through your garden. I think that's a pain. I don't like to do it. But if you have that, or if you like that, if that works for you, that's another thing that can be very, very low maintenance once it is set up. And if you mulch, and if you have um, a sweet potato plant or your squash plants that are growing crazy all over your yard, you can't even see the place where you started those plants anymore. What I like to do is I like to put a stick. I like to put a stick in the ground at the place where I planted that plant originally, so I know where the roots are. Because when I go back into that jungle of sweet potatoes or that jungle of summer of squash, that's not going to stay in there. Soil when it is it's okay. Healthy. I can find those sticks and I'm like, aha, that's where the little roots are of that plant. And when I do have to go back and water, I can find them and go shh, 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 if I have to water at all. So that's a little trick just for finding things in the jungle because they will really cover your whole garden. That's okay. All right. Um, compost I talked about. Cover crops. Let's talk about cover crops. Cover crops can really reduce the amount of work you have to do in your garden. And there are a few different kinds. That's ah, okay. There are a few different kinds of cover crops that you plant at different times of year. This is one that I planted in the fall. It's a, it's a winter cover crop and it's rye. This is what it looks like right now. I actually waited a little bit too long to chop it down because you can see that it has seeds on the top of it. This went to seed, and ideally it doesn't go to seed. Ideally you chop it down in the spring before it goes to seed, but, you know, life happens. It gets away from you sometimes. It's not the end of the world if it goes to seed. But I planted this in the fall. It grows through the winter. It's winter rye. It's very cold, hardy. And then in the springtime, you chop it down, and it lays down on, your surf on the surface of your soil. And guess what? It looks a lot like this right? So instead of spending seven or ten dollars on a bale of straw in the city like we do, instead of that, you can plant your straw 
in the fall and then in the springtime you already have that mulch layer established that's going to give you a really good bed to grow into something about the rye growing also really really reduces the amount of weeds that will end up germinating in the spring so typically if you do this right if you chop these down and let it lay there you won't get very many weeds that will grow up in your garden in the spring either so i really like this even if you mess it up a little bit it still helps <laughs> so you can get the seed for pretty cheap or um this is a winter cover crop mix that i got actually for free from the soil and water conservation district they were giving these away last fall to promote people experimenting and using more cover crops. It's really good for your soil. Um, this material decomposes and it improves your soil and it helps reduce erosion and it helps build your nutrients and capture carbon. So our soil and water conservation district gave these away. If you're interested in finding out more, I would definitely check over at our tent and um, talk to Madeline Marshall, who works for the Soil and Water Conservation District. She can tell you more about how to get cover crops. There are winter ones, and there are also summer cover crops. This is buckwheat. This is a super, super awesome cover crop. It is very fast growing. So I usually use this in the spring or summer and it will grow and cover the ground in just about 30 days. It's really, really fast. So if you know that you're not gonna get to plant for another 30 days, but you don't want the weeds to grow, throw some buckwheat out and it will help reduce your weed pressure. All you gotta do is like knock it down a little bit with a garden tool before you plant into it. And it's good for later plantings. Like if you're gonna plant sweet potatoes or squash or your tomatoes or peppers, and guess what? Like those weeds start growing in February or March, but you're not going to plant until May or June. Buckwheat is your friend. This is also one that's really good for pollinators. So if you let it go to flower, the bees will love you. It's a really lovely plant, and um, I highly recommend experimenting with it. I'll give you a fistful of this, too, if you want to try some buckwheat um, after the workshop. And yes, it's the same buckwheat that we eat. If you've heard of buckwheat as a grain, they put it in noodles or pancakes or flour or whatever. Like this is that too. It does have like a shell on it. So I don't think that you could easily get at the edible part of this without some equipment, but that's what it is. So just so you know, and honestly, like for farmers in North America that are growing buckwheat as a crop, you know, it's kind of a sustainable grain choice compared to, you know, rice that comes in imported sometimes from other countries or quinoa which comes from really far away typically like buckwheat is a good more local um, low input uh, North American grain crop so I really like it for that reason too and I think that's about it so um, let me say again if you like to have fun join me for my jam workshop <laughs> on May 27th or June 3rd LouisvilleLotsOfFood.com is the place where that registration happens. The tickets are on a sliding scale, so it's pretty reasonably priced. We will pick the berries, we will make the jam, you will take the jam home, you will have fun, you will be happy. You will impress people with your jam making abilities. And I will take any questions. We are live here at the How To Festival, the main public library at Third and Where's York. the workshop? The jam workshops are going to be in Portland. My farm is at 1647 Portland Avenue. The workshop will start right next door at the Louisville Grows Healthy House at 1641 Portland Avenue. It's Friday at 6 p.m. on those two dates. And you do have to register ahead of time, so please don't show up. <laughs> so when you say you 
then they Right, exactly. She's asking when you plant the buckwheat as a cover crop, you, yes, let it grow up from seed. It grows really, really fast. It'll get about 12 inches tall or so. And then, yes, when you're ready to plant, just whack it down with a hoe with any little tool you have. Let it lay down on the ground. And then you're going to plant your plants right into it. Let it lay right there. It'll decompose and it'll be a little natural mulch for you. Absolutely. Yes. I recommend covering it um, for most weedy lawn, unless you have something that's invasive and nasty. And if you don't know, you should ask. Certain things are not gonna, this is not gonna work for everything. But honestly, like the cardboard works pretty good as a mulch. If you mulch with all the layers like I'm talking about, for most like regular weeds, that's gonna be enough to kill back your weeds in your weedy lawn. There are some things though that are not gonna get knocked back by that so you might need to do a two-year you might need to put solid cardboard down let it sit there for a year um, and then plant next year and let it really die back for a longer time yeah yeah but an extension agent might be able to help you identify what those things are um, cooperative extension is really good at offering advice for people gardening um, so you can get their contact information at our, at our tent as well Question over here. You're listening to Amanda Fuller from Lots of Any other Food. Questions? Yes. Composting with like animal feces. Composting with animal feces. Yeah, chicken or horse manure can definitely make good compost. Rabbit manure makes really good compost. Um, there's certain animal manure that doesn't make good compost, and I don't have that list off the top of my head. Um, we probably have a book over here that will tell you more about making your own compost. Um, I know chicken manure has a lot of nitrogen in it and a lot of phosphorus in it, so you need to make sure that that chicken manure has a lot of um, bedding with it. Like, you need to add a lot of carbon. Like, you need to add a lot of straw or a lot of newspaper or something that has a lot of carbon so that it will be balanced and so that it won't be too hot. Because if you put chicken manure on by itself, it will basically burn your plants. It's, it's too concentrated in nutrients. So you need some time for those nutrients to sort of mix up and for the compost to be mature before you can use it. Rabbit manure, I think, is less dangerous in that way, and horse manure also less dangerous in that way, but still you don't want to use it while it's still warm. Like, you need to let that compost really do its thing for a while. But come over to the tent, and we can help hook you up with answers to those questions. What about dogs and cats? Okay. Dogs and cats? No. No. Which is why we put burlap around our plants to keep our cats from pooping in our garden. <laughs> Cat manure not welcome in my garden. Yeah, any shredded paper, absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. It will fly around a little bit, so you might want to wet it down, wet it down when you when you put it on there. But once it's a little matted down, there's been some research showing that newspaper is actually better mulch than straw. There have been some trials, and a friend of mine and a past presenter at the How To Fest told me she had done her own research and the newspaper, or maybe it was regular paper, performed better than, than, than some of the other mulch. So yes, if you have that, definitely use it. 
Well, the colored ink is fine. I think the glossy ink is like just slower to break down, so it might not decompose as well. I think now like people are using ink that's not necessarily toxic. So if it's just colored ink on paper or colored ink on newspaper is fine. But like catalog, kind of glossy paper, I would stay away from that. Yeah, it's not, not going to decompose very well. Anything else? Be creative, be creative. You know, this is not formulaic, but, you know, experiment and make it work for you. Thank you. Have fun. That was Amanda Fuller from Louisville Lots of Food presenting on how to plant a garden and walk away. All kinds of great tips here at the How To Festival at the main public library. We are at 3rd in York outside in the garden tents broadcasting to you live on Forward Radio. So much more to come here on the How To Festival which runs until 3 o'clock. We've got two more full session periods to go. So you can come out right now and still learn hundreds of things and you can play in the kids tent or check out the astronomers looking directly into the sun with telescopes it's amazing or check out kentucky and a beekeepers association they've got an observation hive over here where you can see the queen and other uh, worker bees and watch them move around it's so much fun uh, laura augustine is out here taking your questions and she's going to be leading a session coming up in just a moment on beekeeping so you won't want to miss it you won't want to miss it my friends this is the best event of the year we're so excited to be broadcasting from the how-to festival here at the main public library there are still plenty of plants to be taken home with you i see over here at the urban agriculture coalition's tent people are checking out the different kinds of perennials and annuals things for your garden things for your landscape uh, natives non-natives that are delicious uh, we are giving it all away to you here just like the free public library all of this is free uh, people keep up and asking which ones are free no they're all free and there's a seed swap going on you can talk directly with members of the urban agriculture coalition get advice for your garden for growing this year you can take home some herbs i see a woman is getting a beautiful rosemary plant to take home and plant in her garden right now that is so exciting it's great to see the people learning at the how-to festival so come on out at one o'clock we're gonna hear from three different presenters on urban agriculture terry gibson master gardener is going to be talking about how to grow the happiest most delicious tomatoes wouldn't you want a happy tomato uh, and How to Keep Bees in Your Backyard with Laura Augustine, as I mentioned, from Kentucky Anna Beekeepers. She'll be presenting in one of the garden tents at 1 o'clock out here at 3rd in York. And Dr. Brian Barnes from the University of Louisville and Angie Carlson, alumni of UofL, they are part of the Louisville Compost Co-op and UofL's Community Composting Project. They'll be here giving a great workshop on how to make worms poop for you and what to do next. Yes, it's a composting workshop, vermicomposting. You won't want to miss it at 1 o'clock outside the main public library here at 3rd and York at 1 o'clock. And then also, uh, you can also learn about how to make a colonial whirly gig with Colleen Wilson from Sons of the American Revolution. At 1 o'clock, you can also learn about how to do modern dance with Am Amberly Simpson of Ambo Dance Theater. 
How to Buy a Telescope from Pat Peak, Louisville Astronomical Society. Uh, and if you don't want to buy one and just want to borrow theirs and look at the sun, well, that's a cool thing to do. There is some wood burning going on right now. Speaking of the sun, using only the a concentrator of the sun. This is one of the coolest things I have seen at the How To Festival. Uh, just amazing to watch. Wow, that doesn't really translate to radio very well, does it? But Billy Keith is out here burning wood with a solar concentrator to make art. It is gorgeous and incredible to look at. Um, and you can bring your bike on by. The folks from St. Matthew's uh, Cycle are out here providing guidance about how to tune up and do basic repairs on your bicycle. Uh, they're in a tent right out here on Library Lane, right next to the Louisville Free Public Library's tent, where you can pick up a library card. Uh, you can fill up your bottle with Louisville's award-winning tap. There's a chiller out here on Library Lane. Uh, and, ooh, the bookmobile, a bicycle-powered bookmobile is out here. You can come check that out. It might be cycling through your neighborhood soon. Uh, you won't want to miss that. I am getting thirsty, you all. It is a nice, warm day out here, and uh, I am ready to tamper some of Louisville's award-winning Pure Tap. Uh, I've got my reusable bottle, but if you don't have one, you can, of course, use one of their disposable paper cups. I've got my bottle that I'm going to fill up. If I can if I can make it through the crowds here, this is a popular, popular tent right now. I'm telling you, it always is a popular tent when we attend events. Always, always. Yeah, and this it, you're well into the event season already, right? We are. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. It's nice to have a season where everything's open and the general population is out. So right, we're right, blessed. Right. We're blessed. The thirsty season is here. The thirsty season is here. Come see us and quench that thirst. That's, that's, right, right. that's right. I'm going to fill up my mug. Maybe we can get some audio of this. Oh, my God. Oh, look. That's yeah. That is that is the sound of hydration. Uh, there are children running up, filling their cups. It's delicious. It's free, and it's so refreshing right now out here in the sunshine at the Louisville uh, Free Public Library's How To Festival here at Third and um, York Street. I'm out on Library Lane in front of, as I mentioned, all the food trucks. So if you're hungry, come on out. They'll be here until 3 p.m. There's six different food trucks, including a cookie cabin, y'all. A cookie cabin. That doesn't happen every day. That cookie cabin, man, it doesn't come to your block. So you got to come on out, get out of the house, come on down on this beautiful day, and come sample some of the goodness that is the How To Festival. It has been on hiatus for two years it's been so sad we had a nice virtual option of the how-to festival that forward radio participated in uh and this year we're back in person i'm gonna walk back inside Woo, it is busy and crowded inside the york street atrium i'm gonna go check out our own table forward radio of course has a table here along with some other community organizations at the How To Festival, we are helping you understand how to broadcast with community radio. We are radio for the people, by the people, and you are the people we want to get behind the microphones and on the air. So come on out to the York Street. No, not the York Street. The other side, the north side, the Hayburn Building side of the Louisville Free Public Library, and we'll get you hooked up with community radio. Uh, there are people streaming past of all ages, all walks of life. This is such a great event where we see people from all over 
eager to share, to learn, to engage. I am here at the main stage, and there are circus performers on stilts, y'all. This is a great family-friendly event, of course, but it's good for people of all ages to learn and engage. And uh, the kids are loving watching these stilt walkers and clowns. Uh, it looks like they are erecting a 20-foot rig right here on center stage. I don't know what these circus performers are going to do in a, in a hot minute, but it is exciting. <laughs> I'm here at the Ford radio table. Oh, man, I'm so glad to see you guys here. How are you doing? Hey, beautiful, man. It's a good event. And, um, Oh, we're on the, on the radio? Yeah, we're live on the radio. Yeah. I've been here since quarter of 12, that's right, looking that's at right. the great circuses. Tell the people who you are here, man. Michael T. That's right, that's right. Michael T., uh, Community Control Now. Man, this is, a, this is such a great addition to our broadcast schedule. You guys do such great work. Yeah, man, we love it here. Uh, community, grassroots radio. We all come together, man, and uh, get those stories out, those things. You know, the uh, mainstream media, the powers that be. Uh, they they don't want to tell these stories right. and uh, you know what I mean, but they, but but the stories still exist. You know what I mean. So it's like we got to have these platforms and and we got to come together to uh, get the get the information out here because the people need to have they have a right to know. You know, true democracy is we all you know put everything on the table here and we get to find out how we feel about it here. So you know we're telling. We're, I see us as like storytellers, man. Everybody on That's the right. on the radio here. You know what I mean. And we and, and we're truth tellers in so many ways. So it's a it's a beautiful tradition to be a part of, man. Yeah. And it's not too hard to become a broadcaster, right? You guys are new at this, but it's not too hard. No, no, it's not at all. I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, we're still amateur radio tiers here, but um, but it's the, the beauty of it, um, Forward gave us a platform in order to uh, get our stories out, and it, and it just uh, comes along. If anyone's curious about, um, you know, joining uh, the struggle here that we're doing and, uh, you know, get a part of our efforts here, um, just, uh, you know, hit up the website and... Um, See what's going on here. You, you, you'll be surprised, man. You might have a little bit of uh, some uh, Casey Kasem or something in you there. So. <laughs> or a little Vincent yeah, Gonzalez. Yeah, I don't know, man. Hey, it, it, we could all dream here, but you know what I mean? So It's beautiful, man. And, uh, yo, keep up the good work, Justin. I check out the program here. Um, you know, um, just trying to stay on top of things with the um, the water table, man, and the climate crisis. There's some serious stuff going on here, but, but we're all in for a fight, you know, so. It's some good stuff here, man. Yeah. Mike, I mean, this is so great. I love when community gets together. You know, we do, we all do our shows kind of like remotely sometimes or in the studio by ourselves. Yeah, this is nice when we can come together, right? No, right on, man. It's one big happy family here. And um, <laughs> everybody, you know, I feel like, it, you know, same purpose and mission of, you know, trying to see this community thrive and, and, and grow in a, in a more progressive direction here. So, um, yeah, yeah we, we just we uh, have quite the fight on our hands, man, but we're, we're, we're in for the fight here. Yeah. Yeah, it's a struggle, and one part of that struggle is media, right? Yeah, um, no, it's a, yeah, 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 media. I mean, it's, a, it's the concentrated effort of these sort of organic um, sort of things that we're trying to do here. And um, I think it's just uh, the more that, that, you know, people, once again, in the name of democracy, the more that we have that ability to tell our own stories, man, it's... Um, I, I see that as like that's like uh, organic power, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Community grown power that we can and we just it, it just expands, you know what I mean? People feel empowered when they have their stories told, you know? So 
it's, 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 it's some pretty groovy stuff, man. Real talk. That's right. Like WFMP is about amplifying the voices of the people. Yes. We know we know people have stories. It's just, is anyone listening? Is and anyone that listening? and that's what a community radio station is all right about. On. And I, I can attest from uh, the work that we've been able to do. Um, people stop me in the grocery store sometimes and they recognize my voice if we're talking in uh, right. this man, uh, um, the, the golden uh, voice, voice. Of, oh my, the voice, yeah, I mean, he, who, who knew he had a star turn here? I, I, I call him the talent on the show, man. He's, he, he, he keeps things going, but uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's, what, what you got to say, man? You, I think you gotta say I'm this. speechless. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's never yeah, no, no, no. But we wanna you know, encourage everybody to come out, um, donate to Forward Radio. The donations are overflowing. That's right. We got a tip jar right here. You can help us out. Give now, forever hold your peace. <laughs> you don't have to leave a donation, but we are taking them. We've also got little WFMP pins and bumper stickers you can take home with you, as well as some broadcast schedules to help you keep informed about what we are airing. We are interrupting our regularly scheduled programming today to bring you this live broadcast from the How To Festival at the Main Public Library right here at 3rd and York. Uh, we've got a booth here in the North Lobby and Patty Payette is here from Critical Thinking for Everyone. Hey, Patty. Hey, Justin. We're, we're having a great time here. Are we? Yes, we are. And we got some new folks learning about the station. What's the strangest question you've gotten so far? Um, <laughs> yeah, I have not gotten any. I'm waiting for some strange questions. I want some good ones. It's great to meet the people in person and say hello. You know, we're kind of disembodied voices on the radio, but right here at our booth, you can meet us in person. You can get on the radio. Hi, what's your name? Um, Isvara Torres. Is this your first time at a how-to festival? No, I've been here one time, like a long a time A veteran. Ago. She's a veteran. Oh, my goodness. So what have you learned today? Um, how to make marshmallows. No and way. What else? What else have I done? Oh, how to embroider. I can't say Embroidery, it. Embroidery, yeah. Embroider um, a um, bookmark. A bookmark. Did you get it? Did you, where's the bookmark? I want to see this thing. You made your own bookmark? That's so cool. And I also learned how to milk a cow. Oh, my gosh. You got to milk the cow out front? That is so much fun. I bet that's your first time doing that, right? Yeah. You got to watch. <laughs> Look yeah. at that. You've embroidered with a beautiful uh, potted flower and a star. Yeah. That's so cool. And you got a, I see you've got a, a balloon animal. Did you twist that yourself? No. <laughs> so other people are doing the stuff, and sometimes you just watch, right? <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you came to the How To Festival. It's good to meet you. Yeah. Love the library. It is a great free public resource, just like your community radio station, WFMPLP Louisville, broadcasting live from the How To Festival. I'm Justin Mogg, one of the volunteers at the station. We've been going since 2017 and we've been a part of the how to festival ever since we often do workshops for you on how to podcast and broadcast but you know this year they already had somebody else signed up to do how to podcast so we thought we'd just let them do that they did it at 11 i'm sorry we missed it but Let's shout out the Butter Pecan Podcast with Daryl Goodner and Kelly Nuz. They did a How to Make a Podcast over the weekend. 
how-to workshop at 11 a.m. Uh, and, you know, we know there's lots of people out there interested in making media. There's lots of people who are making their own podcasts, and we totally love that. Uh, some of our programs right here on Forward Radio came to us as originally a podcast that we then adapted into a radio show, like Two Nuts in a Pod, right? Oh, that's, <laughs> yes. We've got some shows that you can only hear on Forward Radio. But also, you can podcast on Forward Radio, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, I mean people who want to come and learn to podcast? Yeah. Absolutely. I was just telling someone here at the table about um, Access Hour, and um, I said to her, hey, do you have any topics that you might be interested in? And she said yes, and uh, her first name's Clara. So Clara, we want you to come back. Yeah, I'm going to be following <laughs> up with her about Access Hour and coming on and learning about... We're sharing whatever topic she didn't reveal what it was yet, and but um, also you uh, you make podcasting look easy, Justin. You do, <laughs> you do. It can be effortless, but it takes some time maybe to get yeah, there. It's it is a, it's quite the th- everyone ha- everyone and their brother has a podcast now, right? Right, right, right. It's the thing. But we were podcasting way before it was cool, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I used to do only live radio like we're doing right now. That's how I got into community radio way back in college in 1993. Uh, but then when we started Forward Radio, it was like, oh, there's also this whole world of automated stations where you can pre-produce your programs, Drop upload it, it to the Internet, and then the robot takes over and does the live broadcast. Oh, isn't that amazing? Yeah, our show, Critical Thing for Everyone, we do 94 five percent of the time we do it remotely yeah and that's the beauty of the technology now if people are like oh i don't have equipment or whatever to to do a show guess what we you could just use your laptop you wouldn't believe the sound quality if you if you set up your space well also your iphone surprisingly it's amazing that what technology so if people are worried like oh i don't have the right setup you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, you don't necessarily need anything fancy, but you can access really professional equipment at Forward Radio in our studios. You can check out a professional recorder to go out in the streets and record things live wherever you are. Or you can use the Public Library's recording studio. Yeah. yeah. Wait a minute. They, I didn't even know that. Public exactly. Library. Where is it? Where is I believe it? it's out at the Northwest Public Library. Um, oh, Northwest Branch. Yeah. Or no- Northeast Branch. Uh, sorry. Northeast. Yeah, Northeast. Sorry. Yeah, Northeast. That's what I meant. Um, so, yeah. Yay. There are resources at the library. There are resources at Ford Radio. And you can become a radio professional. Well, semi We won't pay you, unfortunately. Oh, wow. There are more people coming up to the booth. Hey, what's your name? Jada. Hey, Jada. Is this your first time at a how-to festival? Yeah. Okay, what do you think so far? I love it. And what have you learned? I learned. You haven't learned anything yet. You're just so overwhelmed. Like, you got to sleep on it before you can actually absorb it, right? It's a great place. You don't have to learn. (laughs) Thanks, you guys, for stopping by. What's your name? Julian. Hey, Julian. Is it your first time in a how to as well? Yes. What's your favorite thing so far? Uh, How do you make the buttons? Oh, wow. Buttons. Cool. Yeah, you could come inside and do that. Um, did you see the cow outside? Yeah. <laughs> did you get to milk it? No. <laughs> There's still time. You have until 3 o'clock to get outside and milk the cow, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got plants? Yeah. Awesome. 
This is a really fun family-friendly event, isn't it? It's great. It's great for the kids and great for the family. Yeah, come on out to the How-To Festival right here in the main public library until 3 o'clock. Bring the whole family because there's something for everybody. They just took down the circus act. My God, there was like people suspended from the ceiling. It was so cool. <laughs> we got great stuff coming up. I was just doing the run-through of what's about to come at 1 p.m. And... Uh, about to do his your own co-host yeah my co-host brian barnes shout out to brian for for our show critical thinking for everyone brian though is here at the how-to fest not with his critical thinking hat on <laughs> thinking hat on but with his composting hat on and he's doing a session on vermicomposting from what i understand all right. Well, I'm so sorry for this technical difficulty. We need to, of course, stop the automatic robot from taking over uh, at oh. 1 o'clock. He started up again. There you go. Oh. We have to interrupt economic update. I'm so sorry, folks, uh, to bring you this special live broadcast from the How-To Festival at the Maine Public Library. We were just talking with Patty Payette from Critical Thinking for Everyone and her co-host, is going to think critically about worm poop. That's right. <laughs> Brian Barnes, my co-host, and his composting co-host, Angie Carlson, they are doing a thing on vermicomposting, and the title is How to Make Worms Poop for You and What to Do Next. <laughs> poop for you. That sounds like Brian. That sounds like Brian. And that is in the garden tent number three. So if anyone's interested, uh, they're doing that now. And right here across from us at the center stage, it's How to Fence with the Louisville Fencing Center. Now, Brian Barnes also fences. Yes, he's got so many superpowers. <laughs> he could do a whole how-to festival. He could do a whole, the Brian Barnes how-to festival. <laughs> I, think, I think we should pitch that. In fact, that brings to mind our, a year ago, we had that talent show. Yes. And he did the martial arts. Martial arts. So oh he, he could do a how-to on martial arts. He could do one on fencing. He could do one on composting. He could do one on critical thinking. He could do one on, yeah, <laughs> growing your hair out. Yeah. So come visit Patty. See her in person. She has three dimensions. Yeah. Michael T. from Community Control Now is also here. It's a great festival. You won't want to miss it. The Louisville fencing folks are about to take over at center stage, so we're going to migrate and go visit some other booths. Uh, I don't think fencing is particularly good radio. What do you think? No, probably I mean, there might be some sounds. Of, yeah. <laughs> Have you visited the Louisville Foundation, Library Foundation? No, we should check yeah. them out. We'll yes, let's talk. And the League of Women Voters is also here uh, with a table and a booth. Uh, this is the, ooh, the center stage is taking over with the Louisville Fencing Association. and you'll find out why that's important. If you've known anything about fencing, how many people have seen fencing on TV? All right, all right. And how many people know who Lee Kiefer is? Lee Kiefer started at the Louisville Fencing Center and her early years, she was excellent. Then that little behind the back shot, that's where it started. I was victim of it a couple of times, trust me. Um, more importantly though, Kentucky has a very strong fencing history. They used to have uh, what is known as a World Cup, a Junior World Cup, and it was held at the um, Galt House. 
And a lot of our fencers fenced in it. Uh, some of the judges, like Delahanty, uh, his children fence. It's still a great thing for all of us. Um, one thing I also am, I am a world team member. That means that in 2017 and 2018, I represent the United States as part of a team to fence for a world title. In 2017, we took the title. In 2018, we dropped it and got bronze. So I am very proud of that. That is How To Fence here at the How To Festival at the main public library. Again, probably not the best thing for radio, so I'm going to move through the library to some other workshops passing some stilt walkers man you just missed a fantastic show there uh there were folks doing incredible things on center stage here uh that you can't see anywhere else but at the how-to festival uh and boy that was a lot of fun with them and the fencing has just begun you know, we might want to go check out Phyllis Fitzgerald, a master gardener, and I really respect Phyllis and all her knowledge, so I'm going to go mine what she's got to share. She's doing a workshop right now on how to garden with native plants, so we're going to take a little stroll up to the second floor of the library to see if we can check that out. The volume level here in the York Street atrium is pretty high because of all the people and the echoey walls, but we're going to go check out Phyllis Fitzgerald over in the community room on the second floor. And we're going to pass by the folks teaching about how to get started with stringed instruments, of course. As I mentioned earlier, they are here letting you play with cellos and violins and just get started with learning about it. You don't have to be an expert to play an instrument. It's all about learning from each other. So let's see what's going on here in the community room. It looks like it's over here. Hey, how you doing, Sarah Lynn? The first of April to the first of May was absolutely glorious. It was a mass of yellow and purple and blue. Everybody who passed by my house would stop and take pictures. It is just, it was just marvelous. But guess what? A bunch of those early natives, they call them the ephemerals, um, have gone dormant. That you can't see them at all. Somebody just asked about what was it? About about Dutchman's. Well, they call it breeches, didn't? But in Kentucky, we call it Dutchman's breeches. <laughs> <laughs> We're Kentuckians, right? They're Dutchman's breeches. <laughs> So um, anyway, my Virginia bluebells have already gone dormant. Well, I'll mention some others as we start. Which ones? Okay. So if you're just starting, you're just starting, aren't you? Yeah. If you've got a new landscape, this is a perfect time to put in native plants because they're so successful. So you'll see some of the plants that you want to plant here. So, um, like I said, when I started out, I wasn't paying any attention <laughs> to sun or shade. I quickly learned. Do you know uh, what I learned the first year? You do not plant any kind of rose in the shade. <laughs> you already knew that, didn't you? <laughs> so you, you just, you will learn. And every time something fails, you have learned big time. It's, it's usually because you planted it in the wrong place. 
Okay, so and when you have a new garden, this is the place to start with some native plants. And then in terms of being healthy for the environment, you hardly, well, you just don't have to spray. You know, the, the only thing, I don't have to say, the deer can get in there and wreak habit if you're not careful. I do get deer in my garden and a few other critters that I would like to stay out, but they, they come in. So there are lots of reasons for doing it, but remember those critters were there before you were. All right, so um, how do you do it? And I have to tell you, somebody knocked on my door a few days ago while I was taking a nap. I'm 82 years old after all, so I, I, get, I get to take a nap. And said, I want to do what you did. Tell me how to do it. <laughs> uh, between one and two, don't knock on my door, okay? <laughs> so but you, let's say that you have a great big front yard like I do, like 180 feet by roughly 80. Pretty good size. Um, do you do the whole thing at once like I did? I don't recommend it, really. So the best thing to do is to start small. Pick like a strip out of fence or a strip by your driveway. And then uh, in the fall, I've got plenty of time for this, um, spread cardboard. Don't bother killing the grass. I did, but I didn't know any better 40 years ago. So just spread cardboard and put some mulch on it. Nobody will notice. And then the next spring, when you're ready to plant, the earth is perfect. And the earthworms are just, they are just happy as clams. So I know that's not anything anybody has ever told you, but I could, I've done this for years. Or maybe you want a little plot under a tree. That's a great place to start, too. Or maybe you want along a fence. And remember, the big tall plants need to be near the fence, not the little baby pussy toes and things like that. So. It's a good idea to check the internet and see what this plant is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to do if it doesn't have instructions coming with it. So along walkways, and then pay attention to sun and shade, which I did not. <laughs> but here again, the internet will tell you exactly what it wants if the little, the little label on the plant doesn't tell you. So. There's, nobody's going to want to do this, but I still recommend it. I am a master gardener after all. It's a very good idea to take soil samples. And you, you take these samples, actually. You contact the Cooperative Extension Service, and there will be a phone number later on this, one of the last slides. And it'll t they'll tell you how to take the soil sample. You may need some additives. You usually won't need a whole lot, but you know, if you've had, um, if, you've, if you've put lime on your garden every year because your grandfather did, you're probably going to find it's way too alkaline. So they'll tell you what you need. I mean, it's, this is, vir well, virtually free. So, okay, let's We're broadcasting live from the How To Festival here in the main public library. You just heard from Phyllis Fitzgerald, a master gardener, about how to grow native plants uh, and she's a little hard to hear so I'm gonna move on to another workshop for you and pass by the folks teaching you how to play stringed instruments here in the York Street side of the building I'm gonna head down the stairs and back outside on this beautiful day uh, we might want to learn about how to grow those happy tomatoes with another master gardener who's giving a presentation right now the whole thing goes until 3 p.m. 
get out now. Now's the time to come and experience the how-to festival. Only happens once a year, and it's been off for two years straight, so we're really excited to be back in person here at the how-to festival. Yeah, early varieties like the early girl, the Shibika, Fourth uh, of July, Heinz, Heinz 57. The early tomatoes will be about 55, degree, uh, 55 days. They're usually determinate tomatoes. They're only going to produce a certain amount of tomatoes. Many of the old heirlooms who have a much bigger uh, fruit, uh, eight ounces to a pound or more, are going to take 80 to 85 days. If you're paying your garden tomatoes late, Mid-June, you want to go with a hybrid of 65 to 70 days because if you plant one of these little areas, it's going to take 90 days. You're looking for probably mid-September. Mid-September, the sun is back into the sky, and I get to it, and you're not going to have But we are broadcasting live from the How To Festival here outside the main public library at 3rd and York. We're back at the Urban Agriculture Coalition tent with Heather Robinson giving away some great advice and some great plants, too. Uh, how cool is that? Let's go listen to Brian Barnes on how to make worms poop for you and what to do next. He's not using a microphone, so I'm going to go over to Laura Augustine and learn about bees instead. When you're working the hive... Um, when you're working the hive, you would be like behind the hive and uh, and you would actually be taking, this is a J hook. This is a short one. I use a short one, but most of them are pretty long. They're like this long. I'm probably one of the few people that use short ones because it's just, it's just my personal preference, you know, but I didn't bring a long one with me, so I apologize for that. But basically you could take and, you, and you'd use this J hook and they put propolis, which is... Uh, resin they make from uh, the um, resin of trees it's and they use it to glue spaces that are um, small in order to like it's a hygienic and they seal every little spot in the hive using that it's called propolis so they'll seal these things in so you gotta like pry them out so you'll individually pry these out and that's how you work the bees you you'll you'll be working by frame by frame and so you can take these and they're interchangeable with another hive body that's the same size. You could move them to another hive. If you had a queen that um, that you lost, you know, you would actually, or uh, you know, and you needed to put some eggs in a hive, you could move all those. So that's why they're made this way. And they're made in long rows, as you can see, like that. And so this is a 10 frame Langstroth medium body hive. That's what this is right here. And the one below is a 10-frame Langstroth Deep. So normally after that, you would actually have an inner cover, which I forgot to bring. It's basically a little flat board, and it keeps the top cover from sticking because I told you they glue everything with propolis. So it'll keep the top cover from sticking to your actual hives. So the inner cover will go on next, and then the top cover is on last. And there you go. There's like a, just a, a quick example of a small little hive here. Um, 
and this would be this is how you would get started and i will if you can hold your questions i'll take questions um in the last like 15 minutes okay um so basically now you you got your equipment right so where do you get your bees that's the question where is you get your, your bees you have basically three options. As a new beekeeper, you're probably not going to be catching swarms like I do, okay? <laughs> uh, it's fun. It's great fun to catch a swarm. Has anybody ever seen a swarm? Know what they are? Yeah, I got a picture in here. Let me grab it. We're listening to Laura Augustine here at the Louisville How-To Festival at the Maine Public Library. We're right outside at 3rd and York. She's got some great show and tell. Uh, wonderful stuff here. This is a bee swarm, okay? This is their natural method of reproduction. Okay, so they, there's three types of bees. Queen, a drone, and a worker bee. Who knows which one makes most of the hive? Worker bee. Worker bees are always female. Always female, okay? Yes. <laughs> the drone... His one job is to mate with the queen. So they actually go to a drone congregation area where drones congregate and have a drink of bourbon. And then they go out and they try to find their queen. You know, they're Kentucky bees. So, <laughs> so they mate in the air. They mate in the air and they can mate with up to, they'll, they'll mate from 10 to 20 different drones in one mating flight, the queen will. And that is to have genetic diversity, right? So when we're talking about bees and you, you're going to order bees, like say you order them from a beekeeping supply company, you are going to get like, uh, they're going to say, you want Italian bees or you want Russian bees. Uh, you want a Sasquatch queen. I'm telling you that's, that's a very um, commercial marketing scheme because these bees, most of them are mutts, okay? They're, and unless you are actually controlling your mating through an, uh, insemination or uh, have a specific mating yard with specific drones, you're getting mutts, you know? So, and it's fine, that's what you want. That's really what you want. You wanna try to, uh, to get the diversity, get feral bees that have adapted to your area. So you can go and you can go to the bee, bee supply stores um, you can get a swarm like this. You could you could collect this. It'll have one queen. Every hive has a queen. It'll have one queen in it, uh, and you can put it in the hive. But that's not how most beekeepers start. Most beekeepers start by getting either a package of bees, which is basically about three pounds of bees. It'll come with a queen and a little queen box, which I think I have one in my pocket here. Yep. It'll come in, she'll come in a little cage like this and you'll introduce her to the hive. So that's one way and it'll come like in a box like this. It'll just be full of bees, a can of sugar water, and a queen in a box. Okay? It's called package bees. The second way you can get them is a nuke, a nuke box. And it's called a nucleus hive. This right here is a nucleus hive. Okay? Um, this will hold five frames of bees. And so what they'll do is a beekeeper will already have a hive going for you, okay? This is an old one used, like all my stuff. And they'll have five, five frames of deeps, normally deeps, that size, not mediums. 
Um, and that's a really, really good way to start because basically it has already started laying eggs. They've already have a queen that's been introduced. You don't have to introduce a queen. And you can actually get those from local beekeepers. They sell these every spring. So if you wanted to like uh, get bees from a local beekeeper, which is what I highly recommend because those bees are adapted to the area, right? If you're getting a package bees, those bees are almost, almost always coming from Georgia or Florida. So they're not adapted to Kentucky weather, right? So definitely a different environment than um, climate than uh, down there, right? So you want to get, you want to, you could get on like the forums on uh, the beekeeping. You could go to your beekeeping organization. There will be people that will be advertising sell of nukes, N-U-C-S, nukes is what they call them. They're called nucleus hives. They're basically a small hive. And at that point, you would take your nucleus hive and you would put it in one of these to get started, okay? You probably want to start looking like in January, February time frame for someone who sells those. Normally they sell them between April and May. Uh, around this area, mostly in May, you can pick up is when you'll be picking up your picking up your nuke in order to install it. So you want to really get started. If you're going to get started in beekeeping, you want to get started like a year ahead of time. So this winter, you start going to your beekeeping organization meetings. You start reading, you start watching your YouTube videos, you take an online class, you could do, uh, you know, listen to a podcast, uh, all kinds of different things you can do to learn. So you want to learn over the winter, get your equipment, you want to get your first hive, right? You have, normally I recommend having two hives, okay? The reason you have two hives is because you might lose a queen on one hive, and if you lost that queen and you don't have another hive that and they said let's say they didn't make a new queen because the queen will make another queen uh, the the bees will make another queen out of that queen's eggs that she left but say they didn't make one and it failed or the queen didn't come back from her mating flight at that point you can steal from your other hive take a frame of brood eggs put it in that hive and they can make a queen but you don't have that other hive that is dead. There's nothing you can do but order another queen. And what you don't want to be dependent on is ordering queens from people every year. As a beekeeper, one thing I always tell new newbies is please learn how to queen raise, okay? That is essential. You don't want to have to buy queens from everyone. I can sell you queens all, all week long, right? I can make money off of you. I'm not trying to do that. I want you to learn how to do it yourself. Okay, so when you're doing this, make sure you're also taking like, you know, look at it's like how to raise queens. How do the bees raise queens? What do they do to do this? You know, it's a very essential element uh, to learning. Another thing you can really uh, you would want to really learn about is feeding, too, because there's going to be times of the year where there's there's what we call dearths, which is when the nectar is not flowing. So the bee goes out, you know, normally they a bee's life cycle. They start out as a nurse bee. They emerge, and as soon as they emerge, they start taking care of the other larvae and the baby bees and the queen. That's their first job. And these new nurse bees, they act just like nurses. They take care of the queen. They feed her. They feed the larvae. They decide when, when uh, the bees need a new queen, and etc. And then as they grow, just like a lifespan of a child to an adult, you have different roles. You have different roles in your life 
they they they'll start and they'll they'll go from being uh, raising the help raise uh, raise the baby bees to being cleaning. Um, they'll start like taking out. People always ask me like, why is that one carrying around another bee? And um, if you could watch him, please. That that's if you could put pull him back. Thank you. It's it's a little wobbly there. I don't want it to fall over. Um, it's a. Uh, They'll, they'll say, why is it carrying around? I'm like, well, I don't have an exit because that's a job role. A job role is to carry the dead bees out and get them out of the house. You know, it's like taking the trash out, right? So you have one, it's a little sweeper bee, right? And then and then as they grow, they, they become, um, they'll start making propolis and like sealing up all the holes or they will be wax builders. Um, and then the oldest bees are actually the foragers. The forager is the one who flies out of the hive they visit the flower, they gather the nectar, they bring the nectar back into the hive. And at that point, the nectar and the pollen, they'll put little pollen on their legs and their pollen sacks. Um, they'll bring that back into the hive and that is their food. They have to have honey in order to, and, and pollen in order to survive. So part of overwintering is like the biggest thing is like how to keep my lives my bees alive over winter well they have to have enough resources to stay alive over winter and sometimes you have to give them supplemental food if they do not now you may think like okay i'm gonna get bees and in two months i'm gonna have 60 pounds of honey it's not exactly how it works you know they have to build up and you always have to leave them some honey for the next year because they need that honey to survive over winter. If you, they do not have that honey, you'll have to do supplemental feeding. You'll feed them sugar water. I got some sugar water here that I just keep on. Yeah, that I just keep on top of uh, there while while we're while they're in the observation. That's just a small observation hive, just two frames. So I just feed them sugar water while they're in there, just to keep them hydrated and whatnot. Um, and then usually, generally, probably on your second year of a hive is when you could harvest the honey. Like if you have a really good nectar flow in spring, come June, you might have, you might already have one super of honey, like one of those, and you might have a second one. You take that second one off, you leave the, the first one. And this here is actual frame of honey, and it has a coat of beeswax on, they, they seal the honey. So they take the nectar, they actually add an enzyme, they have a honey stomach that they store honey in that mixes with an enzyme. And then they, they, they transfer the honey or the nectar to another bee. And then that bee puts it into the actual cells of each of the comb. And which is like, like this, you can pass it around. Um, <clears throat> And they will fan it and they get it to a certain percentage, water percentage, it has to be like below 18.3% and uh, above about 13%. And at that point, it is honey. And so they'll cap it over with wax, which seals that and doesn't allow any moisture in it. And when I extract it, I take off that layer of top layer of beeswax. I use it for other products. I use it for lip balms and um, lotions and uh, oh, I can't. It's like candles, lots of candles, uh, things like that. And I also use it to just coat my other my other frames as well. So, uh, and then I put that those frames in a, a round extractor. It spins it, spins it, spins it. All the honey flies out to the sides. It leaks down the sides, down into a bottom bin. I filter it, 
and eventually I put it in a bottle and I sell it to the customer. And uh, so, so that's kind of the whole process of it together. Um, and I talked a little bit, and I, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I've told you a lot today. So I'm not going to go too much detail about diseases. But I know a lot of people probably ask me about like colony collapse disorder, which has been in the news a lot. That is uh, a real thing, and it and a lot of it is because of varroa mites. It's a tiny little mite. That was Laura Augustine live at the how-to festival at the main public library at third in york from kentucky and a beekeepers association i want to switch tents in the urban agriculture coalition go hear from our own dr brian barnes not talking about critical thinking for everyone but how to make worms poop for you and what to do next learning about the habitat is they just sit here and just pick them out which you can also do i mean and you can get like i'm really fast at it i have to say like i'm really you know Humble, humble brag there. I know it's a weird flex, but I can I can sort worms super fast by hand, right? And anybody, um, hey, what's up, Justin Mogg? So forward radio in the house. Hello. Um, so um, this is this yeah, that's really not that's probably faster if you get good at it. It's faster than the brush, but they're both slow. It just takes a little bit of discernment, you know, to get fast at it. But it, but it's, it's never fast. So those are the two methods that I would really recommend. There are some others. The Internet's loaded with them, but those are probably the two easiest to, in terms of sifting for this level. To get it out of this level, you can, um, you can pile it up. And once, it's, once the material sort of looks like this, which is to say it doesn't have any recognizable food things in it anymore. Um, so I've got like... A peach pit, maybe with an with some uh, eggshell. I don't know what that thing is. All that's going to get eaten, right? So once all that stuff's pretty much gone, except for the woody stuff, right? Then I could put a fresh pile of food right here, wherever my worm pile is. It doesn't matter what container it is or whatever. It's if it's red wigglers, put a pile right here. You can also take some of that hardware cloth that you bought because you'll have some left over. You can put that on top of your pile. Put the food on top water the new food, leave the old food alone, and the worms will migrate to the new food, right? It'll take them a couple of weeks. We've got that going on right now. You can come see the process if you want to. We have that going on constantly, right? But you could, you know, you can just see how that works, and, and it works great, and you'll get 95% of the worms probably from the old pile if you'll wait a few weeks. It's, again, super slow, right? So those are, those are kind of the methods. Hope that's helpful. Okay, so let me get a little. Let me get to a little bit about the worms. So the worms themselves, again, Asenia fetida, the red wiggler worm. They have bands. If you go and look at them, there is a red worm also that's different. So these are banded worms, which is to say, if you look at them, the colors change a little bit in the light. So it's kind of like between yellow and brown, and there's a red hue in there that gives them the name. But they're a little bit iridescent often if they're an adult. The smaller, smaller ones don't really have that feature. They don't have enough skin to make it happen, or I don't, know what, I don't know what it is. Also, if they're super dehydrated, which they will get super dehydrated and shrink, they'll lose that character as well, but they'll rehydrate. These worms will live for 10 years if you treat them right. So you can absolutely hang on to them and keep on feeding them. Okay. Um, if you wanted to do something in your house, you could get a handful of these. You could go to the bait shop. It's, it's been a while since I did it, but I want to say like, um, like 15 worms for three bucks or four bucks or something like that in a container with their own poop, 
which is just you know kind of what you have over here, right? So they'll eat their own poop dozens of times, by the way. But after they do it about ten times, according to the people who study this very closely, of whom I am not one, right? But if for the people who study this very closely, after about ten times, they are interested in moving to new food. So you can figure out about how long that takes for us. That's about two months of just leaving them alone, right? And then they're ready to move to new food. Sir? They do, they do. It takes our population, it's a, it varies a little. It takes our population around three and a half months to double. Okay, so the way that the multiplication works is these are hermaphrodites, this particular worm, okay? So it's got both sex organs. And so through some miracle of nature, you know, there are lots of them out there. They're rolling through the dirt, right? Just hang, you know, who knows who's in the dirt with you, right? And they come up on one another, and one of them decides, for this encounter, I'm going to be the female, and for this encounter, I'm going to be the male, right? And what happens is they have this little band. These are called, these are, for the biologists out there, these are called clitellids, this classification of animal or whatever, right? And so it has this thing on it called a clitellum, which is a band. It's a fleshy band. If you come up and look at these worms at the end, you'll see that some of them, the older ones, have this thick band on them that's different from the rest of the skin. All the rest of the skin's one way, and you have this one thing that's different. That covers the, the genitalia for the encounter. Okay? Got me? Okay, just trying to make it. This is weird, right? So anyway, so, so then what happens is, and you can observe this in the pile, right? The the, the male for the encounter, right, slips in through the clitellum of the female, right, and they wiggle for a while, right, and then the male withdraws and goes sandwich or whatever happens, right, and the female, the clitellum will slide off over their head like a sweater, and the ends fold up, and that becomes the egg, and they'll grow a new one in a few months. Say again. No, well, it's one egg. It, it, usually, it, it can have a dozen worms in it, sometimes fewer, but only half of them come out. And YouTube's got all of this for you if you're interested. Like, it's all there with the electron microscope, right? But anyway, um, yeah, so about half of them stay in. I guess they become food for everybody else or whatever as they dissolve. But, um, but yeah, and that takes um, a couple of months for them to reach sexual maturity once you get the egg. Um, and then you get the new population again. And, and again, our population tends to double every few months. And when we get, I mean, we give them away all the time, but we also increase the size of our habitat sometimes and then shrink it again. Um, we also just take them and put them into the compost because, frankly, they're already in the compost. Like, the compost is outdoors, and these things are everywhere. And so they have they made their way into our compost some years ago. And so when the compost is in the right stage, which is to say where it's what we call curing, where it starts to move down, um, and it's in the sort of uh, 85 to 55 degree range, 85 to 60, I guess, curing range, the worms will move in and dodge the high heat and process a lot of the material in there to make it even richer. So um, probably more than you need it. But anyway, did that... Yeah, so that's how the reproduction happens um, with, the, with the worms. Say again? Yeah, just rolling around in the dirt. They don't seem to have, like, family associations or anything like that. Um, just, um, yeah, just relatively random. Doesn't seem, to, doesn't seem to create any trauma when you separate them. Um, we have looked at this. Some people have had concerns. I think it's legitimate to look. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it seems to be they operate just fine. So... Yes. 
Yeah, if you have if you have at least a cubic meter of material for them to live in, or a garage with a heater. Yeah, because it they're they're mainly water. I mean, like us, right? Mainly water. And so it, when it gets when it gets down to freezing, they freeze. Like, there's no question about it. And once they freeze, they're done. You can do it in your basement. You just have to make sure that that, that bunch of material, the middle of it, won't freeze. The edges could freeze. It won't matter. I mean, they, they're pretty good at their own interests. They move toward the heat, toward the food, toward the water. They're pretty good at that. But um, there are some ways to mess them up. And one way is <laughs> there's nowhere else for them to go because the whole block froze, right? I mean, you'll, have, you'll definitely have dead worms. However, a lot of, a lot of the eggs will still hatch. You just kind of have to start over um, in that regard. Because some, some of the eggs won't hatch. Depending on how frozen it got, it'll just kill the whole thing. So as long as you have that much material or you have a basement or something, it'll be okay. So you could use a five-gallon bucket. be just fine, right? You could, um, you could put some soil in the bottoms, maybe some wet newspaper. You want to keep it. Uh, you want to um, uh, then start putting in your food waste and burying your food waste, and the worms will find it if they're in there. I mean, you could start with, a, you know, 30 worms, 50 worms in a five-gallon bucket, and they'll eat the stuff um, quick enough. Thanks. And, um, <clears throat> you know... Hold on, I don't want to compete with that guy. We're broadcasting live from 3rd and York Street here at the How To Festival at the Maine Public Library, listening habitat, to Brian Barnes on composting. I mean, because they're, you could literally put it in anything. I mean, I've done it in shoe boxes, I've done it in Rubbermaid uh, containers, I've done, it, I've done it in all kinds of stuff. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. No, no, they don't suffocate. They won't suffocate in that. Um, if it gets hot in there, there'll be a problem. But frankly, you're going to open it up and put the stuff back in there often enough. You shouldn't worry about it. Here's where you know you got a problem with your worms. They're outside of your container. And it doesn't matter if you have a lid. Because what's going to happen, if you have a lid that will actually keep the worms in, have you seen those, seen those videos about you know, the octopus, right? It's going through like this size hole. It's the same thing, right? I mean, they're going to find a way out. But if they don't, when you open up that lid, they're all going to be on the top of the lid. Like they're ready to go. That's a problem. And it probably, especially if there's a lot of condensation, it's probably just it's too hot in there. Poke a couple of holes, you won't have that problem again. Right? And, I mean, they won't, they won't get out because they won't want to. Right? So you could have a couple of holes, but also if you opened it up every day, and if you had soil, if, you had, if it was mostly soil and you were just putting the food waste in it, I mean, soil, when it just sits around, it's 55 degrees. They love that. They don't get agitated until it's like 100. They're like us. They're really okay until it's around 100. They're like, what's going on? You know, it's the wrong spot. I got to go somewhere else, right? So that's, that's when you would need to worry about it. Or if maybe it was too acidic. That would be a problem, but you'd probably be able to smell something, and you'd probably have other vermin problems in your bucket if that was the case, because other things would get in there and be attracted to that. So anyway, I, I think you can use any container, and, and that would be the only real problem. But uh, you can certainly buy plenty of commercial products for this too, but that works fine. Some of the most successful vermiculture habitats I've had and that I've seen are just a Rubbermaid container with some holes poked in the top, and you leave it there all year and just keep feeding it. And then when it's time to harvest the worms. That's the only time you mess with the habitat at all is you're going to get all that material out, start a new habitat, and you've got, you know, however big the container is, you've got that amount of material for your house plants or gardening or whatever. So, yes? 
There are all kinds of insects that are a problem. Yeah, the question is, what, what are, there, are other insects a problem? And they, they are. So if you have a giant vermiculture habitat outdoors, for example, like I did, you know, you go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this old refrigerator and turn it into, yeah. So um, the ants will come and steal all the worm eggs. The, and they will take all the food waste. If there's food waste in there, the, the ants will take it, and they will just colonize the whole thing. And if it's um, certain kinds of ants will also kill the worms, but um, it creates a big problem. They tend to colonize the worm habitat and create a lot of difficulty for the worms. Um, there are mites that will suffocate the worms. Um, they're not, they're, they're pretty, it, it happens around here um, when it gets really, really hot. There's some mites that will infiltrate the bin sometimes, especially if the compost is not 100% sort of ready yet for worms, if it's maybe a little bit hot. And um, I've seen them just cover the whole worm, and the worm respires through its skin, so that kills the worms. Um, and, um, you know, if you had something like, if you have millipedes kill the worms, centipedes kill the worms, some wasps might kill the worms if they got in there. But frankly, the worms are under, like, if you have this container, which we use for dorm composting at UofL, if you have this container and you have this much soil in it, nothing's going to get to it unless you sit it somewhere where it can become part of an, an ant path. Like, nothing's going to... Nothing's going to get that. Nothing's yeah, going to dig in there and get those worms, right? I mean, if you threw a bunch of millipedes in there, then that would be a disaster. But, I mean, unless there are millipede eggs in the soil, which we, we tend to have that just out in nature or whatever around here, um, unless you had that and they hatched in there, I mean, it wouldn't be a problem for the worms. And they don't, they don't go and just murder them all. Like, they, you know, they only do it periodically. So it's not even a big deal. Um, those are the only problems that I really see for the worms. The biggest enemy of the worm thriving is us. You know, because we're gonna let the we're gonna let the bin dry out, and when the when the soil is dry, they continue to move, but that creates tears in their skin, which get infected and and die and and cause them to die. Um, if it dries out, they won't be able to do any of their biological processes, right? So I mean, they, they'll just leave, we've seen them all around. They just dry up and die, right? So that's something that you know we would do to create a problem. But as long as we keep it moist and as long as we keep feeding them and make sure the material's deep enough that they can get away from the sun, uh, worms will thrive. I mean, they've been thriving without us for a long time, so. Yes? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, a lot of that stuff has been super cooked, you know, to, to, to sort of kill everything in it, and then had nutrients maybe reintroduced. So something like that, you could, that, that's, yeah, for sure, you can make sure, but with compost, I think, it, I think it's hard to know. So, yeah. Are, is, am I out of time? It's been lovely. Thank you all for coming out. Hope to see you around. If you have questions, they can't kick me out of the whole thing. So <laughs> I'm around. Uh, but feel free to join on a Sunday or reach out to either Sean or me for, um, you know, composting information in town. That was Brian Barnes from the Louisville Compost Co-op and U of L Community Composting Project, and your Forward Radio broadcaster. How are you doing, Brian? And support Forward Radio. I'm hey, doing yeah. great. How's everybody out there? It's good turnout right? for your workshop, man. How about that? Really nice. What? How's How's Forward Radio going today? Oh, we're, we've been live broadcasting here since 10 a.m. at the How To Festival outside here at Third in York on a most beautiful day. Don't you think? Absolutely. It is a wonderful day, and I'm so glad to see all these folks. Oh, I better go answer some yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, answer questions, dude. 
This is great. Uh, so you should come out to the How-To Festival now through 3 p.m. The Urban Agriculture Coalition still has plants to give away. I can't believe there are still plants. But, yes, you can still pick up on some beautiful rosemary and sage that's hanging out in the shade of this oak tree. We've got tomato plants ready to go for you to take home. Uh, I don't see anything besides tomatoes. It's very tomato-y at this point, I think. Uh, but there are some herbs still, and everybody loves tomatoes, so why wouldn't you want to grow some? It looks like all of the native pawpaws have been taken home and planted. That is so exciting. Everybody is eager to grow at this time of year, and you can get advice on how to do it right here at the How-To Festival at the Maine Public Library at 3rd and York, free to all. That is what the How-To Fest is all about, sharing resources and information and freedom, food security, food sovereignty. Don't you want that? You can be a part of it here at the How-To Festival at the Maine Public Library. We're so excited to see uh, all the growers out here today who volunteered their time to help out. And the Food Literacy Project is here too, man. This is great. It's so good to see them out here with their truck farm. It's a pickup truck that has food growing in the back. It is so beautiful. Hey guys, you're from the you're from the Food Literacy Project? Yes, we are with the Food Literacy Project. What's your name? Alex Davidson. Hey Alex, tell our listeners about the Food Literacy Project and the truck farm. Yeah, well, our mission is youth transforming their communities through food farming in the land, and we do that through a variety of programs. Um, we offer all kinds of youth development programming with Urban Farm. Right. It's kind of like container gardening in a way. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Anything is possible. Massive container gardening. So cool. Well, thanks for demonstrating it today. This is yeah, so great. Love the how-to festival here at the Free Public Library. Come on out. Uh, it is exciting to be a part of this. Of course, Forward Radio has our own booth here at the main public library. We are at 3rd and York Street. And you, you, my friends, can come be a part of this as well. So come on out right now. It's here until 3 p.m. And we are live broadcasting from the How-To Festival. Uh, so excited to be a part of this. I don't know how we have survived without the How-To Fest for the last two years of the COVID pandemic. Uh, but we are back. We are back in person. We are ready to learn and grow and become a stronger community together. That's what it's all about at the How-To Festival. Um, so you don't want to miss it. Come out, be a part of it, uh, learn. Again, there are food trucks still available out here. And uh, we have a cow milking station. You won't want to miss it. Uh, this is your chance to learn something. We're broadcasting live from the How-To Festival here at the Maine Public Library at 3rd and York. Excuse the technical challenges as we work with limited internet connectivity, uh, but we are back live on the air here on Forward Radio, uh, checking out all of the great stuff happening at the How To Festival. Again, here on Library Lane, you can learn how to do wood burning with a solar concentrator. Uh, you can learn how to use your public library and pick up on a 
library card right now. There's a kid's tent. Uh, we're staying hydrated, hydrated with Louisville Water Company's award-winning chilled water on tap. So bring your reusable bottle and fill up on all the goodness. I'm going to head back inside because it's getting a bit warm out here on this beautiful day. Uh, and it's nice and cool inside the library. We're going to step into the York Street atrium and check out what's going on. And maybe head back to our own booth here on the north side of the building next to center stage where the fencing demonstration just took place and uh, we've got some other booths that are worth checking out over here on the north side of the building so we're going to go talk to them i know that the library foundation is here support your local libraries <clears throat> they're only able to do this kind of programming thanks to folks like you chipping in and the league of women voters is here providing great information about how to become a voter maybe you're already a voter maybe you need more information well the league of women voters is here for you to help you register to vote oh my goodness is this the league of women voters my hello friends hello hi what can happen at this booth at the how-to festival to sign up to register to vote you can register right now but wait the election is on tuesday this you can register for the general election, but okay. it's too late to register for the primary. Okay. Early for the primary. Remember to register. And you can, in-person voting already happened, or it's still happening today, I think. Is that right? The fairgrounds. Yeah. There are several locations, but it ends today. So if you haven't voted today, then you can vote on Tuesday as long as you're registered. Right. And we also direct people to where to uh, how to find out where they go to vote and who is on the uh, slate as well. Sometimes you print a guide about the candidates. Is that available here? No. Don't have it on hand, but it is available. It's online. It's online. Great. At GoVoteKY.com. People can learn more about their candidates, get informed, get ready to vote either today, the early in-person voting, or Tuesday. When polls will be open 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I believe? Yes, that's correct. Six and all the usual polling stations are open during the primary. Well, you have to check this year because they've redistricted. And so you have to go online if you haven't received a card in the mail and check where you are to vote. And that's because of redistricting? Is that why the polls changed? Restricting? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's fun. I know my polling station is relocated, so... I've got a, I'm going to, on Tuesday, I'm going to go experience a new voting sensation. <laughs> well, thanks for being here. It's so great to have the League of Women Voters at the How-To Festival. Great work, everybody. All right. And the Library Foundation is also here. I would love to go talk to them and learn more about what they do, uh, supporting our local libraries. Uh, we're so thrilled to be a part of the How-To Festival. And it's put on by the library. So let's talk to them. Hi, can I talk to you about the Library Foundation? Sure. What's your name? My name is Kira Hall. I'm the communications manager at the Library Foundation. Oh, nice. Okay, so I was just outside at the library's tent. This is how we can support the library, right? Correct. We are here to help get people involved with our libraries, to participate, get them to advocate for our libraries, and also donate so we can help do programs like How-To Festival and Summer Reading. I got to say the How-To Festival is one of my favorite events of the year. So I'm so grateful to everyone who contributes to the Library Foundation to make things like this happen, right? Absolutely. We couldn't do it without our community bringing support for our libraries every day. 
And I also saw a mobile library out there, a bicycle-powered mobile library. That is correct. That was made possible through generous donors donating through the Library Foundation to uh, get things like that. And they have a new bookmobile that will be on the way in the next couple of years as well. So tell me about how these things work. Can people look up where they'll be? Uh, the library kind of schedules where they're going with programming and selects different places, but I'm sure that would probably be available on the library website. So lfpl.org, right? Correct. And if you check out on there and you want to participate in the Library Foundation, learn how you can support the library, there's a little tab on there that says support the Library Foundation, and you can come to our site too. Can you tell me like how many people give to the Library Foundation each year? Is it huge? Uh, thousands. Thousands Yeah. Wow. Together. We have a lot of great citizens of the community that help. Um, Gift for Good is the day that comes up in September where everybody's given to the community and we get a lot of support from that day too. That is a great day. We always participate in that as Ford Radio too. It's, you know, libraries are a wonderful public resource, but they need a little bit more than taxpayer dollars to make incredible events like this happen, right? That is correct. We have great um, cities and a great city council helps fund our libraries. Um, we always need more funding for our libraries and what we do is help supplement so we can do things like summer reading and like we mentioned How To Fest and making our great library programs even better. And I think events like this help people realize or remember that libraries aren't just about books, right? There's so much more. Absolutely. We have so many fun things that happen at the library, things that you can come and learn, programs that you can attend to, what all 17 branches plan wonderful programming for their neighborhoods. So it's a great place to get out and always come and get free activities. Everyone is welcome at our libraries. We love that as well. So it's here for the entire community. Thank you for being here for us. We're so appreciative. Come check out the Library Foundation's booth here in the uh, north lobby of the main public library. That's the Hayburn building side of the library. Uh, and that's where we are as Forward Radio, too. We are here with our booth until 3 p.m. We'd love to see you in person. This is a station of the people by the people, and usually we're disembodied voices, but today you can meet us in person. You can see all three of our dimensions here at our Forward Radio booth. I'm so thrilled to see my good friend Ruth Newman and an angry bud has made a rare appearance at the How To Festival. How's it been going, y'all? It's going great. Yes, I just got here though, so I don't know. <laughs> so you haven't learned how to do anything yet. No, I That's right, not at all. Did you see the cow? They're milking a cow. Yes, I did see that. It's fascinating. And all the plants that you can get swap. I, I, I'm a very biased reporter because I've been spending all my time at the agriculture demonstrations and workshops. But you can learn how to do all kinds of cool things here, right? It's wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Yes, and I did see the composting the composting with uh, Brian Barnes. We were just there broadcasting live. You know, we usually hear about very cerebral topics on his program, and he was down in the sex organs of the worm today. You know, the live, anything can happen on live radio, but he did not violate the FCC rules at all. It was very respectful. Good, good to know, good to know. Yes, well, we need to know all we possibly can know about those worms. That's right. They make the foundation of everything that's nutritious in this world. That's right. So, that's right. so those are the kinds of things you can learn today, and you can stop by our booth, right, and get engaged in Forward Radio? Absolutely, yes. Are you finding any new programmers for us? 
Well, Patty has been at the booth, and she found some programmers who were interested in the access hour. Oh, good. I like that idea. Absolutely. That's what we need. Yes, I know there are folks out there with lots of ideas, lots of interest in certain areas, certain situations going on. We're right now in an election cycle. The election is on Tuesday, the primary. If you have any ideas about elections, about candidates, about the city, we want you on the air. And of course, Ford Radio doesn't endorse any particular candidates. That's one of the rules of being a community nonprofit radio station. But we endorse the concept of an educated, informed citizenry. And if you want good politicians, if you want good uh, elected officials, you need educated voters, right? And that's why we're here. Absolutely. Yes, especially people coming on the air that don't have any special interests, you know, that just are ordinary citizens that feel for the city, that have an interest in improving our city. Those are the people that we want on the air. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be an expert. In fact, most of us are not experts. I'm one of the rare weirdos with a PhD on the radio station. Uh, most people are just regular citizens who care enough about their own communities to share and to lear learn themselves, too, right? Like, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. There's a lot to learn out there. Yeah. It's those people who are out there at the bus stops, you know, out there at the community centers in the metropolitan area, the libraries, those are the people on the front lines. They're the ones with the experiences that are happening every day that have stories to tell. Yeah, everybody's got stories to tell and we're here sharing some of those stories in a way at the How To Festival. I'm so glad to see people stopping by our booth learning about the station. I think we're all out of broadcast schedules, aren't we? <laughs> Oh, we still have some. Good, good, good. Uh, but they're not in color. <laughs> Great. So you can pick up a broadcast schedule to learn about what's already on the air. And then next how-to festival, you could see your show on the broadcast schedule, right? You could start a weekly program if you've got the gumption. We'll give you the training. We'll get you engaged. It's all about mentorship at Forward Radio. We, we don't leave anybody hanging. Uh, but the idea is we sort of get you trained up and ready to go, and soon you'll be free to do your own program. And Each one, teach one. Yes, exactly. That's our motto. Here at Forward Radio, uh, we're all about mentorship and helping people amplify the voices of the community that we know are already out there. It's not like these conversations aren't happening. It's just that not enough people are listening. And that's what the magic of community radio is. We can introduce you to all kinds of new concepts, new community organizations, new candidates that you didn't even know were going to be on the ballot and you show up and you're like, who are these judges? I didn't even know I was voting for 16 judges or something like that. I mean, this is crazy. We need a radio station like this to stay informed, right? right. Yep. So come on board. <laughs> we'll show you how to fly and we'll let you fly out of the nest and do your thing. And the League of Women Voters is here too. I just spoke to them giving great information about where to vote, how to vote, to get registered. It's too late for Tuesday's primary, but you can still register for the November election if you moved. Yeah. Something else is that because of redistricting, be sure you know where your polling station. Mine changed too. It's so don't show up at the usual place and expect to vote. But 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Tuesday, we want you to vote. Go vote KY.
GoVoteKY.com. GoVoteKY.com will tell you exactly where your new polling station is. Uh, it, it probably has changed thanks to redistricting. And heck, your legislature may have changed as well, right? I'm not voting for the same seat anymore. So it's a confusing time, and the mainstream media is only covering the mayor's race, right? Like, we, we have so many other things going on that we need to inform people about and it only happens through volunteer power and your contributions to forward radio we've got a little tip jar here if people want to chip in if you didn't get a chance during the pledge drive but i just saw our minutes from our last meeting we raised a heck of a lot of money on our birthday didn't we ruth yes we certainly did it was just over eight thousand dollars dollars thank you friends you did it yay that is great because that's going to help sustain us for another year of broadcasting the only reason we can do this is because of your support it's so affordable it only takes twenty dollars a day to cover our basic expenses and then volunteer power makes all of it happen so i'm so excited to meet people in person here at the how-to festival and let them know about our station and how they can get involved some great conversations are happening we have one two three four five plus me we have six forward radio programmers right here at the booth ready to talk to you and and, uh, broadcast your voice too. I've been interviewing random people and about what they're doing and their first time at the How To Festival. There's all kinds of kids here checking it out. Uh, we're right next to the center stage and they are about to do a lot of fun things. What are they going to do? Oh, how to salsa dance. Hot damn. Put on your dancing shoes. It's two o'clock. You can say damn on the radio, can't you? <laughs> In Kentucky, we can say hot damn. <laughs> So I think it's going to get very exciting in here in a minute. Uh, I'm going to keep roaming around, but let's listen to a little bit about how to salsa dance. You, there must be uh, 25 or 30 people getting onto center stage right now to shake it till the butter melts, I think. I think that's what they're going to do. we got the security guard dancing. That's hilarious. We're going to step in play. My apologies to our listeners live on 106.5 FordRadio.org. We are live from the How To Festival at the Louisville Free Public Library. Right now on the center stage, we've got about 40 people learning how to salsa dance. You know, I haven't headed down to the basement yet, but there are two different workshops taking place right now in the basement. I'm going to walk by the How to Make a Button with friends of the Louisville Free Public Library and head on down to the basement where there are several workshops taking place right now uh, that you can still learn on through 3 p.m. today. There is a workshop on how to become an authorpreneur. 
how to homebrew from grains to glass, how to train your dog with positive reinforcement. That could be fun. Um, outside in the tents, the gardening continues with how to become an eco-friendly gardener uh, with a master gardener. And then also how to raise backyard chickens, right? Everybody loves that with other master gardeners. And Idlewild Butterfly Farm is here with how to identify beneficial insects from pests. Homebrewing here at the How To Festival. Really all you need in addition to some very simple sanitizing solution to kind of rinse everything off with before um, the beer goes in there. Uh, and again, there's as many different varieties of yeasts out there as there are grains and hops. And uh, it's cool because like every little yeast also can kind of add its own flavor. You had mentioned sour beers earlier. That's usually something that comes with a little bit of bacteria intentionally being added along with the yeast just to eat up all that sugar and then produce all those unique flavors. One of the best examples of a flavor contribution yeast can make, I think, is like a German Hefeweizen. If you guys have ever had that style of beer, it's like people always ask, like, do they put bananas in this? Like, it's just super banana-y and kind of bubblegummy. They don't usually. All that flavor comes from the yeast. They make a byproduct in addition to alcohol, which they do through the process of fermentation, eating the sugar, turning it into alcohol, and incidentally carbon dioxide, which is what's going to make the beer alcoholic and carbonated. They throw off a few other little fun flavor profiles, anything from, you know, uh, lactic acid in some situations to make those tart flavors to, yeah, something called esters, which a lot of those Belgian beers, those kind of raisiny, plum, uh, banana-y flavors you can get. And they make another chemical called phenols that's kind of in there, like, you know, like a Belgian Saison has that really nice, like, kind of straw character. Or you'll hear it called, like, a farmhouse kind of flavor. Horse blanket is another descriptor people use, which, what's a horse blanket taste like? But, uh... You get the idea. But those are just all different little subtle things that different strains of yeast can kind of add. And a lot of that times, too, the variety of yeast that you do will dictate ultimately what the style of the beer is. So we could do the same recipe, you know, with an American clean California ale yeast. It would be a blonde ale. If we put a Saison yeast in that same recipe, it would just turn it into a Saison. If we put a Hefeweizen yeast in there, it would bring those banana flavors out. It would be a Hefeweizen. So you can do a lot just depending on the variety of yeast you use, which is kind of cool, kind of fun to play around with. Um, so that's a lot said upon all the ingredients just because, you know, really that's the, the most fun thing about homebrewing to me is getting to kind of get familiar with what every little element does. And then when you are out, you know, at a friend's house drinking some of their homebrew or these days Louisville has such a good craft beer scene. If you're out exploring new breweries, you can try a beer. And you can really start to reverse engineer it in your head a little bit. Just after you have a couple batches under your belt, you'll start to learn what those different things do. It's fun too when you're doing uh, recipes to start, you know, maybe start with something super simple like a blonde ale or whatnot, or a pale ale. Um, you make it, you really like it, you try it again, and you just swap one ingredient for something else. And then you can really just, that really helps build your palate, which to me, other than drinking the beer, is the most fun thing about uh, home brewing. Um, but all that being said, yeah. Uh, We'll start kind of talking about how you turn all, put all that stuff together and turn it into something you can drink. And uh, if, ever, if you guys don't have to remember anything that I say, any numbers or times are recorded on these like little handouts here. Um, and in addition, we've done this class live stream. So if you ever are brewing and want something to follow along with, you can go on our website and we basically do this spiel. It's one of those ones where we're drinking beer. So I think the last one we did was like two hours long, but uh, yeah. Um, that's a, that's a good resource, and we're, we also have like a little slideshow and stuff like that you can find on our website. 
Uh, but yeah, if you don't have these, they're floating around everywhere, so feel free to grab one. Brewing beer is really just taking these barley grains, turning it into more or less kind of a barley tea. You'll hear that called wort uh, is the term that gets thrown around. We have a YouTube channel called Boy Meets Wort. That's kind of where we just kind of little goofball adventures in home brewing. Um, and what we're then going to do is just to boil that wort, boil that kind of hop tea, I'm sorry, that barley tea that we make, uh, and add different varieties of hops to it, just according to, you know, how bitter, how aromatic, just kind of what flavor profiles we want to bring out. Uh, we're going to let that boil for about an hour. Then we're just going to cool it down, running cold water around our pot in the sink. Um, sanitize, just a simple fermenting bucket with some sanitizing solution. We'll talk in more depth about that in a little bit, too. Uh, pour it all in there, sprinkle a little bit of yeast in on top, and just let that sit for on average about two weeks I think is a pretty good rule of thumb some things will vary a little bit but two weeks is pretty pretty average uh, in just a cool temperature stable ish environment out of direct sunlight and then two weeks later you take it you put it in bottles bottle cappers super easy to do it sits to the bottles for about one more week the yeast eat up a little bit of extra sugar that you give them uh, that makes carbon dioxide inside of the bottle and that'll ultimately give you you know grain boiled cooled fermented bottled two weeks later about two cases of beer that's very good you'll be surprised people all the time like like yeah I'll get a few batches under my belt and then maybe I can make a good one but um, yeah one of the things we pride ourselves on is how many people nail it just the first time out of the gate so don't be intimidated I should say too I thought I brought a bunch of little coupons and stuff with me but they might be in my car uh, we are gonna make a, a coupon code in our system for the next couple of months just if you if you say uh, I was at the how-to festival we'll lock 20% off whatever you guys need for getting started um, and I should say too, all the equipment here that we are going to kind of talk about, uh, these equipment kits, it's really everything here but the pot, uh, these are $65. If you have anything close to this size at home, three, four, five, six gallon kettle, uh, that'll work perfect for you. This is one we sell, it's a five gallon pot, works great for getting started, I think those are 40 bucks. Um, and then, say again? Yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, you can use it for really anything. Yeah, especially if it's like stainless or just aluminum or something that's just really easy to get very clean so it's not going to be hanging on to any like oils or weird, you know, tomato flavors or something like that. Unless you're doing tomato beer, which, you know, <laughs> is, a, is a, I like micheladas. Um, but yeah, really anything metal or stainless or aluminum as long as it's like well seasoned or whatever, um, not just raw basically, is going to work fine. Yeah, totally. Make sure that they're fruit grade buckets, but the, the turkey fryer things, yeah, 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 exactly. I always tell people too, if they're looking to get started, like wait until after the holidays, when everybody's tried to fry turkey, they've almost burned down their house, and then their, their significant other says, get that thing out of here. So you can usually pick those up for a couple bucks uh, at your local thrift store uh, after the holidays. But if you wanna get started, you know, just basically come in with an idea. Say, hey, I had this uh, beer, I want to try to do a blonde ale. Hey, I had this cream ale out the other day. Hey, I had a Kentucky Common. What the heck is that? Uh, that's a whole story in and of itself, but we'll save that for another day. Um, come in with an idea, and we've got recipes for literally anything under the sun. Or, or again, I've uh, done enough research uh, over the years that we can reverse engineer anything you guys have had out there. We can find recipes. Uh, if it's something real obscure, you'd be surprised. People think that like brewers uh, even like on the commercial scale, kind of like keep all their stuff very, very secretive. But in fact, most brewers, you know, if you go to, if you're traveling in Asheville and you try 
to go to Green Man Brewery and you love the porter, send them a DM, slide it into their DMs, or shoot them an email. Uh, most of those people are so happy to share, just you know, because it's fun to be able to share stuff like that with other people. So any recipe for any beer out there, you can pretty much get your hands on. Live at the How To Festival at the Maine Public Library, and you were just listening to How To Homebrew from Grains to Glass with John Ronane of Brewgrass Homebrew. Brewgrass Homebrew. Check him out, and we're going to head on to some other workshops just to give you a sampling of the flavors, the beer flavors. The non-alcoholic flavors, many different flavors of fun here at the How To Festival. The salsa dancing is continuing, and they're forming a huge circle around the center stage right now here at the How To Fest. I'm going to take you upstairs to the second floor of the library again, uh, where there are some great workshops going on right now. Now through 2.45, that's when the workshops wrap up, but you can still come to the library lane until 3 o'clock for the food trucks. The Urban Agriculture Coalition is out there, and uh, they're giving away plants and seeds and lots of knowledge. There is a workshop going on right now about how to raise backyard chickens, in fact. Don't want to miss that, but I'm going to head on upstairs been outside most of the day i'm so biased towards the urban agriculture as a community broadcaster with my own biases but <laughs> let's check out some other things uh, there's a workshop going on about how to go solar with sarah lynn cunningham of the louisville climate action network and there's also how to write an op-ed with the courier journals op-ed editor who i've met before bonnie jean feldkamp we're going to sneak in, see if we can't pick up some tips on how to write on op-ed. I also get, like, out-of-girl mails. But my favorite kind of mail that I get, and the ones that I strive everybody to write to receive, are the ones that say, huh, I never thought of it that way before. That's the power of an op-ed that's well-written, without contempt. Because we're here to change hearts and minds, folks. And when I talk about let's write local and let's write about our community, there's actually a study out of Cambridge and it is called Homestyle Opinion. And these guys looked at a newspaper that said, we're only gonna write on local issues for this month. And after they did that, they studied the data and they showed that when newspapers focus on commentary that surround local community issues, it actually heals the divisiveness. It's the Washington drama that gets us into these tizzies where we all hate each other. When we talk about our schools, when we talk about, I mean, there's enough for us to discuss on student assignment alone at JCPS. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about these things that happen that affect us every single day. Let's talk about how we want to all fight about critical race theory, but somehow we still have corporal punishment allowed in Kentucky. We're still paddling kids. Come on. Why don't we talk about that? That affects our kids right here. Our inability to pass the Crown Act, which is discrimination against natural hair for children of color. Why can't we get that passed? It's year after year. 
let's start focusing on those issues in our community that affect our lives and affect our children every single day. There's plenty for us to talk about. We don't have to talk about Biden and Trump and all those. It's difficult because we have people like Mitch McConnell and, and Rand Paul who live in Kentucky and they're very national figures. And of course we want to talk about how they connect to the things that are happening in our country because that does, that does matter. But when it comes to our community conversations, the things that we can affect and we can impact is gonna take us really far, I think. If we can, Washington drama will always be there. It's a spectator sport. But if we can get into the grassroots of Louisville, Jefferson County, state of Kentucky, then we can put our pen to paper and really enact change by using our voices for what's happening on our front porch, which is wonderful, I think. That's what I'm passionate about and that's what I wanna hear from. There are two entryways into the Courier Journal. There's the letters to the editor, which are only 200 words or fewer. And that's, you use an online form that is um, in, in our opinion section. It's actually at the bottom of every page. You'll find like contact and you'll find us. The op-eds is where you have between five and 800 words. You got a little more wiggle room. That's where you can really talk about solutions. You can really talk about your story and how our community affects you and what's going on in our community and how it affects you. Those are more, if you're gonna do a letter to the editor, that's usually just a comment or you would, that's usually where you just get a little spout off about something that's already appeared in the paper or happened in the community. But the op-eds is what I wanna focus on encouraging y'all to write about and, and send in. The things that, like I said, you open with something personal, some anecdote, something that that ties your experience to what's happening in our community. Then you segue into some of you know, the law that's being presented, an ordinance that passed, or um, the CBS poll that you saw on whatever large issue or topic that you're using as that jump off point. And then you, that's where you bring in your opinion. This is what happened to me. This is what's happening in our community. And this is how I feel about it. And this is what I think we can do better. And that's basically your op-ed. Those are, that's the information. I, I think of it as what? What am I talking about? Why me? Why am I talking about it? And why now? Why does it matter right now? If you have those three elements in those five to 800 words, then, then you're really, you're gonna knock it out of the park and you're gonna really affect the reader. I tell people all the time, I get, I get letters to the editor from California, again, whenever something happens or whenever one of our national politicians like Mitch McConnell say something, I always get some letter from out of state that just wants to wag their finger at Mitch McConnell. If they only knew I'm the only person in the world who's ever gonna read that and is not gonna go anywhere because it doesn't, it doesn't help us here. And I really am about helping us here. Is everything making sense so far? Yeah. Questions from anybody? I mean, feel free to just jump in, raise your hand, say, this is what's on my mind. How do I navigate this? 
any of those things, I am happy to do that. Um, as I said in the beginning, everything will go to online first, and then we go to the print, sad little print. So it's, it's honest. It's, it's, so here I have two readers. I'm going to tell you my two readers that we have. And I love print. It's sexy. It's awesome. But it's its last hurrah. And we just got to, we we're all going to, we're going to face the music together. This is the last hurrah for print. So right now in the world, hopefully you all are around in the late 90s. Some of you guys look young. In the time where the internet was dawning and we, we, we're buying CDs and we are listening to music on CDs. We remember that, right? Then the internet came along and then Napster came along. Does anybody remember Napster? Oh, yes. It was this, yes, file serving, we can share it. It exploded the music industry. It really had an immediate impact on the music industry. That is, and then I think of the knight and shining white horse that came in was the iPod, right? And it literally gave us a solution and changed how we, how we listen to music, how we buy our music. And that, that little in a nutshell is what's happening to journalism right now. So when the internet age came along, we have taught an entire generation of people how to read for free and to expect quality journalism for free. To where like a dollar for a subscription for six months, I'm not paying that. Like, I have to eat. But they want, they, but these readers still want quality journalism. But they don't have an understanding of where we're gonna get that. So the newspaper, this beautiful newspaper, back in the day, we think ads, all ads sustained it. But it wasn't only ads. Do you remember wanting a job and you go get a Sunday paper and the want ads alone section was like this thick. All of those people paid for that. Also public notices. Public notices was a huge section of the paper as well. Now they're on some website. We can argue whether that's effective because nobody's not going, oh, the EPA is looking for public comments on this latest environmental issue. Let me go to their website and see when they're public commentary time is. So we've lost not only, we've lost a lot of things as far as revenue goes. We have gone from a 300 person newsroom to a 50 person newsroom. And the way we are adapting to that and growing with that is by really focusing on local. Um, we let the national publications like USA Today take care of the national issues while we really focus on what publications are not listening or not focusing on for your community. So those are our two readers. We have the readers that grew up in the newspaper and they're used to this newspaper and they're used to the news on Sunday not being what was online last Wednesday. But that's the way it works. We can hold them back for print like when it's derby season and stuff like that. but. I get so many letters that say, this is old news. It is, because it's digital first. Everything is digital first. And then we have the other population who craves digital first, but they don't want to pay for it. <laughs> so, 
If anybody out there wants to invent something like the iPod for journalism, that would be amazing. And we could come up with some beautiful solution to journalism moving forward. Right now, it, uh, a lot of nonprofit journalism is happening. I, I've done, prior to this job, I did some freelance work for investigative, the Ohio Center for Investigative Journalism, which was a huge project that was funded by National Geographic. Those are wonderful. Those deep dive investigative projects are incredible. But what I've learned in my life is when a nonprofit pops up, it's usually because something in our system, there's a gap there and we have to fix it. And we should not be relying on that. We gotta figure out how we have free press, healthy free press, without relying on nonprofit journalism to, to fill the gaps. So what I'm looking for from you, <laughs> and I don't know how we're doing on time, but I'm just going through. I'm gonna look at time real quick. I know you might, oh yeah, we're 2.30, we got plenty of time. So what I'm looking for from you is finding those things that are happening in our community, in your neighborhoods, that light a fire for you, and really bringing those to me in written form as an op-ed. Does anybody want to share something that, that, what brought you in the doors or something on your mind, something specific that we can talk through or just curious on how to get, how to get us here? Anyone? Anyone? No volunteers? Just curious. Hmm. Hmm. I was just looking for what you all are looking for, you know, your format so for a topic in the future. Mm-hmm. Nothing current. Well, that's good. This will help keep your keep your ears open. When you are on, everybody on social media. Everybody here on social media. Okay. So, um, social media is our Napster, by the way, in case you didn't realize. But that and social media is great. I'm in all the places. Um, what I find is a good like radar for you should be writing this in an op-ed is when you're 300 words deep on Facebook and you're going off, hit the copy and paste button. Let it flesh it out, let it marinate, or heck, you can even hit post, it doesn't matter. But expand on that, dig into that, because social media is your echo chamber. You're preaching to the choir. You're, the people there probably agree with you. And if they don't, you're probably gonna block them. So if you wanna reach beyond to get to those the rest of the community and start a conversation and let the conversation begin with you, that's a good place to start. Or if you're 14 tweets deep on your tweet thread, whatever it is, and you've got links you're putting underneath it, you've got an op-ed, you just created your outlet, outline for an op-ed. Flesh it out, polish it, get rid of the F-bombs, send it to me. That will pro that's probably a good indication of, of you're onto something there. Um, those are all those are all the hot button issues right there. Anybody else? Because I feel like I went through all my stuff in a half hour, so now it's all about you. What do you want to get out of this? Um, are there any uh, sources more trusted than others? Like if I get a source from Fox News, it's mm -hmm. propaganda from the right. Mm -hmm. If I get it from MSNBC, it's propaganda from the mm -hmm. Democratic Party. Right. Does it make a difference? When, when you're doing your fact check? When I'm doing my fact checking, if I get something from Fox or MSNBC, I will usually take that headline and I'll Google it and I'll see what else has popped. Because what I found, I had somebody send me 
I remember when people, they just like to make fun of Biden. And they were saying, why is he wearing a mask on? He's walking on the beach alone with his wife and he's out there, he's, he's delusional, he's losing it, all of this. So I looked up the video clip. I'm like, oh, because they give you like this five seconds. So I will go to the original, like if it's a video like that, I'll go to the original content, the original quote, the original source, and I look at it. And I'm like, yeah, he was there with his wife outside at the height of the pandemic. But when you pan out, there's like 50 like staff members, Secret Service, all that. So I'm like, is he really alone? No, they just happened to zoom in real tight on him and his wife. Was he more than six feet away? Probably, but so he wore a mask. I'm like, all right, whatever. Is that what we're? Is that what print space is worth right now? No. Um, if it comes in Fox News, I will 100% look for another source that reported on it. And sometimes it may be propaganda or definitely slanted. But if it happened, it happened. Like I said, the data is the data. The facts are the facts. How you feel about those facts is where your opinion comes into play. So if Fox News reported on an incident and I can pull it up and I see it's in the Washington Post, I see it's in, uh, in you know, New York Times, USA Today, I'll go and I will, because I will link to them. If you look, if you read an op-ed online, you will see where my hyperlinks go in. I'm the one who puts those hyperlinks in because when you say something, I'm going to make sure that people know where to find that original. Same thing, New York Post. If I get a New York Post, I'm looking it up. Um, it's, I'm going to look it up anyway, but I'm definitely going to look it up and try and find it in multiple news sources on the left and the right, so, or just the facts. Um, if it's policy, if it's anything like that, I will go find the actual bill, see what it says. I will go find all of that language and make sure that it's not out of context, that you're not pulling something to make a point that somebody else used to make a point and that's not even what we're looking at. Those are the kinds of things that I, I will definitely look for. You cannot go wrong by finding whatever your data is in the Courier Journal because I know what our staff members are doing and I know what they, I know what they're held to standard wise. So I will definitely, if you, if you give me a Courier Journal link, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Sarah Ladd wrote that. Done. You know, I know exactly. So if I'm looking for a source straight down the middle, it's the Courier. Well, the news side is facts, and and um, the individual politics of the of the staff member is not necessarily come into play. No. Um, so that's that's yeah. You can't go wrong there. You can't go wrong given that information. Um, and that's the thing. The opinion side is me. I don't have, I'm on an island. I report to the executive editor. I do not interact with the news side except to, I read my own paper. That's like rule number one. You read your own paper, you know what's going on. And I, I sit in on the morning news meeting, but I don't talk. I listen on the morning news meeting because I need to know what's breaking. So when letters and op-eds come in, I know what's topical and I know what we should be paying attention to today. But um, there is there is a wall between the news side and the opinion side. And I am the opinion side. I'm the opinion editor. I do all of it. I have a clerk that will do an initial pass on letters, but that's it. She can she manages
We're broadcasting live from the How To Festival in the main public library here on Ford Radio. And you just heard from the opinion editor of the Louisville Courier Journal, the amazing Bonnie Jean Feldkamp, giving a workshop on how to write an op ed. I think it's time to move back outside, though, and uh, get back to the Urban Agriculture Tents. The Urban Agriculture Coalition is a proud partner of us here at Forward Radio. They chip in a few bucks every year to help keep us on the air, and we love to shout them out and all they do to help sustain sustainable agriculture right here in Louisville and they are proud co-sponsors of the how-to festival and have been outside on library lane on york street all day and we're going to head back outside in the sunshine and see what's going on i know there's a workshop happening right now on how to raise backyard chickens and i'm going to try and get in on some of that and share with you what's going on here at the how-to festival we're going to pass the cow that's being milked a little demo about milking cows here at the how-to festival yeah our carousel rotary parlor our cow step on they get to ride around on that carousel step off and the next cow steps on okay and they can milk a lot of cows in a short amount of time how about robots do you guys like robots yeah did you guys know our dairy farmers love some robots we have robots that help us clean up after our cows. We have robots to help us feed our cows. We have robots to help us milk our cows. And the robotic milking stall is a lot like Becca's, okay? Where it's got a feed tub for her to eat out of, and then she stands here and we do everything from beside her, okay? Now, can we drink the milk Miss Becca gives us today? No, not yet, okay? First, our dairy farmer has to make sure that we cool it down, okay? Becca's milk's gonna come out really warm. And so then, what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to heat it up, we're gonna have to cool it down really quickly, okay? And that's where it's gonna stay until we're ready to process it, okay? All of your milk is pasteurized. That's what you see up here on the screen. This is pasteurizing, where we heat it back up, warm it up again, cool it down really, really fast. This is our cleaning process for the milk that you guys are gonna drink, okay? Now, your parents maybe know what kind of milk you get from the grocery store, but we do that as homogenization, okay? So you guys get access to whole milk, 2%, 1%, and skim milk. This is also how we make all those yummy flavors, right? How many of you guys like chocolate milk? Yeah, strawberry milk? Some of us? Awesome. Now, once we've done that, we can We're live from the How To Festival. Here at the main public library at Third and York, you can learn how to milk a cow. You can learn how to raise chickens. Uh, you can learn about beekeeping too from Laura Augustine of Kentucky and Beekeepers Association. I'm passing by the Urban Ag Coalition tent again, and they still have plants to give away. So it's not too late to get involved. listen in on how to identify beneficial insects from pests with Rachel and Dobson of Idlewild Butterfly Farm. That have the beautiful migration to Mexico and do all those cool things that that butterfly does. But if you grow some other common garden plants, you might end up with the eastern black swallowtail caterpillar. They feed on anything in the carrot family, so anything like Fennel, dill, dill, carrot, uh, parsley, rue, any of that kind of stuff, you might find that caterpillar. 
And you'll definitely know you've got that particular caterpillar if you give it a little tap. Uh, this type of caterpillar has a funny little defense where it has these what look like gooey orange antennae that pop out of the back of its head and it tries to hit you with them. Totally harmless, uh, but they're kind of sticky and stinky. And that's how you know you have a swallowtail butterfly caterpillar. That's just one of the defenses that caterpillars in that family has. And it's harmless, but it's just kind of funny to watch them do that. Uh, so even though they're very similar colored, the monarch caterpillars are not going to have that defensive capability and they are only going to be found on milkweed. So if you're interested in trying out milkweed, uh, if you hadn't heard of it or haven't tried to incorporate that into your garden or anything, feel free to ask me about it. Uh, it it's really something just about anybody can do if you've got a sunny spot. And then we have some other butterflies that you might be interested in promoting. Spicebush Swallowtail is going to be feeding on spicebush or sassafras out in the woods. And their little caterpillars are super, super cute. They've got little eye spots on their heads. Uh, I think they look like little cartoon Pokemon or something like that. They come in different colors. This one's green, but they also come in red and yellow. Super colorful little guys. So that's a reason on its own to get a spicebush. Uh, because you'll see little leaves folded over on top of the caterpillar and if you very carefully open up the little leaf you might find one of these little cuties in there so it's really adorable. Then another butterfly you might start seeing around this is a very odd name for a butterfly but it's called the red spotted purple. Uh, so some of its host plants are going to be oak, willow, wild cherry, some of these trees that you see here. But if you look at the caterpillar uh, its little defense mechanism is it's trying to look gross. It is trying to mimic bird droppings. So, yep, it's, it's cute, but uh, that's, that's what it's trying to do right there. Uh, some other popular butterflies that we have uh, that you might start seeing around here, painted lady butterflies. Those are real popular right now. That's a real early season to late season butterfly. First one you see, last one you see in the growing season. Uh, if you're interested in raising butterflies, we have started doing some painted lady butterfly kits. So where you send you home with a plant and you get to watch the whole life cycle into the butterfly. Uh, so that's really cool. You got the common buckeye, the red admiral. Those are some other smaller butterflies and you can see what the host plants for those are. Uh, there's also the fun question mark butterfly and it's not called that because we don't know what the butterfly is. It's literally called a question mark butterfly. Uh, so that's that one right there. Uh, the cabbage white right here. This is the butterfly that uh, results from those little green caterpillars that like to eat your cabbage and your broccoli and your cauliflower and stuff like that. Uh, so it eventually becomes this cabbage white butterfly right here. And then the American snout right there, which has the cute little snout on it, is another butterfly that you might see around here. So these are some examples of some host plants if you want to try to promote more butterflies in your immediate area. You definitely want to try to put out not only flowers that the adult butterflies are going to visit that are high in nectar content, but also maybe some host plants that their caterpillars want to feed on. And then hopefully that'll eventually get you some more butterflies in your immediate area, which is definitely the goal. All right. So I think that is the end of my talk, but like I said, feel free to ask me any questions you have about insects and also definitely come up if you want to see these up close, the, my little stink bugs and my nematodes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so there are definitely like some apps that like if you take a picture of something, if you got a really good clear picture, and I know this is difficult with insects, uh, the one we like to use is iNaturalist, personally. Uh, you take a picture of it and you upload it and, you know, it'll try to tell you what it is. Uh, but if that doesn't work, because that's a little imperfect, uh, your extension office or even us, uh, if you bring your picture in, we'll definitely try to play What's That Bug. My favorite bug, uh, I, I like some of the uh, big exotic show bugs uh, that I get to take around for shows and stuff. Uh, so maybe like a thorny devil walking stick, just because super fun to take out a really super giant bug and walk around with it. And, you know, it can be like your buddy. And, and most people think it's scary when they first see it and then they end up loving it. So I like that kind of bug. <laughs> Yeah, see, I don't have any automatic controls for squash bug there. I think you can easily, like, pick those off. Uh, I don't think those come in quite as big of groups in my experience. Uh, but you definitely do want to be careful. If you do decide you are going to spray something, just keep in mind that anything you spray is probably not going to be specific to that bug. Any other insects in the area are going to be hit. So if you are going to apply something, try to make sure it's not when the plants are flowering or maybe try in the evening when insects aren't out because you don't want to unintentionally hit bees or pollinators or anything. Alrighty, thanks you guys. And that wraps up Idlewild Farms wonderful how to workshop here at the How To Festival at the Maine Public Library on how to identify beneficial insects from pests. You just heard from Rachel and Dobson. Things are wrapping up here at the How-To Festival. If you get here really quick, you might still be able to get some great stuff from our Urban Agriculture Coalition. People that are still taking home some of the tomatoes, some of the herbs that are available here. Uh, and people are still learning from one another and exchanging. This is such a great event to be a part of. We're so proud to have been here as Forward Radio, taking part in the How-To Festival, which has been such a blessing for our community. You know, there's so many people who know so much, and there's so much to share uh, when it comes to resources and education and knowledge. Uh, you can't beat the How-To Festival, and you can't beat the public library system. Uh, so, the, the you know, we were talking earlier with the Library Foundation and the Friends of the Louisville Free Public Library, and those are the folks who help make this kind of programming happen. Uh, you know, it's volunteers, it's people chipping in some extra money. All of that makes this great programming possible, as well as your taxpayer dollars, of course, at the Louisville Free Public Library. So don't miss it. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to our special broadcast today. Uh, sorry for interrupting our regularly scheduled programming. And I'm going to head back into the library and back to our booth, which you can still come meet us on the north side of the building at the uh, right by the center stage on the Hayburn building side of the Louisville Free Public Library the main library right here at 3rd and York it's been so much fun learning with you all today I hope it's been fun for you listening at home of course a lot of great visuals that don't translate over the radio so well uh, but we did learn a lot together today and it was fun being here with you and sharing with you all and i'm sure we will be back here next year oh i see the salsa dancing is not over people are still dancing 
and still learning and the fun never stops and that is the fun and the joy of the how-to festival wrapping up here at the main public library it's so cool to see everybody shaking it Yeah, you can still get it. We're here for another 10 minutes here at the main public library celebrating the how-to festival. Uh, it's been great having you along. As I said, my name is Justin Mung. I'm one of the volunteers here at Ford Radio. If you want to get involved and learn how to broadcast with community radio and how to podcast as well, get in touch with us at forwardradio.org. You can fill out one of our forms online to uh, get involved to participate that's all you got to do to become a part of this community radio station and uh, with that we're going to send it back to the main studio in the Hayburn building and let the robot take charge again so <laughs> thanks for listening in and uh, we'll see you next time here at the how-to festival from the main public library